Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phyllis Gove. I'm your special guest host, Emily St. James. This week, I'm wearing a hat. That's, she is, guys. If you have hat. our Patreon, you can see the hat. I'm just going to uh, talk about my hat a lot this episode, which great. plays great in an oral It does medium. play in an audio world. But with us today, back writer, producer, director, Liz Hanna is here to talk with us about sneakers. I'm really just here to talk about Emily's hat. That's I just that's <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. That's the me. gift that keeps Do on you giving. Think Robert Redford would like this hat? I think I he would absolutely do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Redford likes a hat. I mean, loves certainly a hat. He loves a hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves does. a hat. He does. Uh, so before we we start, I just want to say I know this episode drops in December, and I know that this you know whatever, but like we got a WGA deal, guys, and it's worth us just patting ourselves on the back for hard work and we got a great deal so there you go. i mean we did hard work the three of us in that room the three of just, us yes. Yes. yes yes but, but i this, do think this hat is the, a deal the hat did the work the hat yeah. did all the work yeah i um we got a deal we're not on strike anymore yes who knows what what the world will look like when this episode drops in it'll december. be in december yeah yeah um so we'll see hopefully sad goes back in the room next week uh to date ourselves when we're recording this carbon date this episode hard Um, but i yeah i was gonna say like i think like all of us uh, just first off a heartfelt thanks to everyone who supported us and like uh iatsi sag all of the uh, the teamsters everyone who um joined us and didn't cross lines and and fought alongside of us and mm-hmm. um and then to the to the negotiating committee and the board for getting i think what everybody agrees is a pretty exceptional deal um for everybody um i mean they got stuff for comedy and variety writers which i think that never really happens usually comedy and variety and feature writers frankly get get pretty forgotten about and both were uh 
uh, taken care of in this deal. So I don't know. I'm I uh, aside from being horrendously ill this week, which was a lovely way to come back from strike. Uh, I'm pretty pretty blown away. It also it needs to be said that uh, Emily, who is a staff writer now, will get paid for her script. And that Ooh, is congratulations. a big deal. Huge deal. Huge it deal. Is. This, is. Is a, this is a thing I've been thinking about. Obviously, <laughs> I've, I'm like writing. I've been writing freelance and stuff this whole time. Sure. But I worked one day in 11 months. <laughs> and I got paid because of my severance and all that. I got sure, paid sure, for sure. those full 11 months. And my severance is just running out. My last payment mm-hmm. is on uh, Monday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to start up on the in the room again on Wednesday. And I'm just like, do I remember wow. how to work? Like, is yeah. that a oh. thing I still know how to do? I don't know, actually. Well, I heard that's out. how we got a deal. It's because they knew your severance was coming to an end. So they were like, I think you know, it's they heard that you bought the hat. I think yeah. the hat <laughs> they heard you got a hat. I think they heard. Yeah, they were like, Emily got a new picketing hat. And I mean, we I, it's too powerful. Th- this is like not a joke. My One of my very good friends in LA has not met my son, who is almost 20 months old. And... I've seen her multiple times. So like, we just, she just has never met him. And last week she was like, I'm coming over on Friday and I'm going to meet your kid and we're going to have lunch. And I was like, great. I'm not saying that this is why we got a deal, but we're not, she no longer can meet my son because she has to go back to her room. So I just want to say that she'll never meet him until she's never going to meet him. So there it is. I mean, there it is. I so, sacrifices have to be made. It's fine. What if what if we yes. got a deal because the sneakers broke into Netflix's servers and Here we're like, is. we have all the viewership yeah. data the time, and we're gonna leak time. it unless love it, love yeah. it. I it needs to be said that Liz, I reached out to you many, many months ago when I was like, We're doing 1992, and right out of the gate, you were like sneakers. Like it wasn't even a yeah. question. This was the top of your list of 92 movies. Um, what's your history with sneakers? Did you see it back in 92? Do you remember when you saw it for the first time? I definitely saw it back. I don't know if I saw it in 92, but I remember right. seeing it when I was a kid. My my parents loved this movie. My mom loved this movie. And so I remember seeing it a lot. We had the VHS. And then uh, my husband, who has also been on this podcast, Brian, Mm -hmm. it's one of his top five favorite movies of all time, which was just like, when I met him, I thought was kind of weird. But then this was a little bit before the dawn of social media and writer Twitter. And then writer Twitter happened and it was not weird anymore because this is, I think, like undeniably the movie that just every four to six weeks sneakers comes up and is like, hey, if you haven't watched sneakers, you should. And sure. I would say, like, every time that happens, there's, like, three people who are like, oh, my God, I've never seen it. It's a really good usage of of writer Twitter because you'll kind of get a new audience member every single time, which is nice. You don't often see that when people are like, hey, remember this movie? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I am part of the sneaker hive of Twitter. <laughs> I'd like to say I'm, like, a founding member of it, but that might be too brazen. Sure. But, yeah, it's just one of those movies that, like, you find another sneakerhead and you're like – Let's go. Let's just fucking <laughs> ball about Redford and Poitier and all the things we're going to talk oh about. My God. I'm excited. Emily, had you seen this movie? No, this is my first time seeing it ever. Okay. Um, it's uh, you know, I, 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 you know what? I'll, I'll spoil it front. I think it's pretty good. I think it's a pretty good movie. I liked it a lot, and I know that I'm going to be like, yeah, B plus, and you all are going to be like, greatest movie, and I'm, so we're going to have a good time. It's going to be. It's going to be great. Yes. Go I think. Th- I mean, no. I was just saying. I think like. B plus to A is like a fair place for it to live. Like, I think there's, it's definitely dated in some places. I have questions about some of the jokes. 
jokes in the movie. Like, there's what? one joke in the movie that I feel like is probably dated and not a joke that should be in this movie, but I do not understand it. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to get to that point. Oh, I, I look forward to that. Yeah. Um, I, I also just feel like it's worth saying, too, that um, this movie kind of it is it, it exists in an interesting technological space as well, which I want to kind of unpack too which i think is great that's one of the best things about this movie for me i will i will say just sort of to follow up on my assessment of the film's quality around the midpoint when they're having robert redford try to remember where he was by like Mm -hmm. thinking about i was like is this the best movie ever made and then the second half kind of loses steam for me but but like not in a way that is it is it is it ben kingsley's accent that makes you lose <laughs> hey, it's no. his little ponytail i'm like why do you have hair <laughs> his this little ponytail. i also um, feel like emily your your husband's in this david Strathairn, uh, uh which we talked about uh, i need to well, i'm announcing to everyone that my really? wife and i are now in a polycule with the entire like not the <laughs> cast of sneakers all the characters from sneakers yes, yes. that is accurate yeah. yes sure yeah i i'm yeah. with you so i'm part of that as well i yeah. just want you to know that that this is it might be like the hottest oldest cast of all time i was just gonna say i think i mean outside of Aykroyd, sorry dan Aykroyd, but like i do and hottie. even Aykroyd's probably in, in his best version of dan Aykroyd. probably i mean Aykroyd, okay like it's not the worst <laughs> but like it's amazing how hot this cast is I I would like for us to visit a conversation yes. that Phil and Brian and I were having while and I were in wine country and day drinking, which mm. is like hottest performances and like hottest yes. eras. We did talk, and about I this. I think we need to have a conversation of Redford yes. in this movie. And Absolutely, frankly, even Poitier, basically because yes. Poitier like looks the same for forty five years, yes. but like. They may never have been hotter. It's really ridiculous. It's really crazy how, and this is part of why, like, I think this movie has such love, is that, first of all, like, our parents grew up on these actors, right? So, like, to some degree. So, like, there is that. My mother loved this movie, too. So, like, I was taken to see this movie in the theaters at 12 when probably, like, I don't know that a pseudo techno thriller with a bunch of quote unquote old people was something that I really needed to see. Um, so I think there was a generational thing. It was the boppy jazz score. That it, was, it was the boppy jazz score. But I think that was part of why like we were all kind of exposed to it to some degree yeah. as kids. Um, and then in hindsight, watching it the other day, I was just like, this cast really works well together. Like, whether or not it was just sort of like, we can get all these people, and it did seem as though from the research I did on the development of this movie, kind of no one really wanted to do this movie, and then Redford was like, I'm in, and then everyone just kind of jumped into the pool. Um, And I love that that Redford saw this as a lane for him, which he kind of runs with for a few years after it as well, which is kind of great. I I mean, it's also... I don't know. We can, we should get into it because there's a lot I want to talk yes. about, but no, I just sure. also want to say River Phoenix. That's I'm just going to put my River Phoenix. Oh my River Phoenix. Pin in the board. River Phoenix. There is a moment at the end of this film when he takes his hat off, Ugh. and you and you're like, "Holy fuck!" <laughs> like this guy it's was. Biz- just... I mean, it's bizarre Ooh. that like there's a weird and R.I.P. because this is right it's around the time sure. that he he dies. Not that long after this, actually, and like Redford was for. 25 years sort of like the hottest man alive and like very much that kind of Harrison Ford but like also very politically active you know like very much sort of this the the movie star for a very long time 
and in this movie playing like the dumbass uh, is river phoenix who is that sort of next generation like he's about to be the next redford the next harrison ford the next yeah. brad pitt or the i guess brad pitt and him are kind of the same age and then he died and like it's it's just bizarre that this is sort of the movie that encapsulates that duo and they have almost no scenes together except like when they're yelling at each other (laughs) yeah it's when they're both uh trying to look at uh people making out across the (laughs) um so i'm gonna give a little bit of context uh computer hacker martin played by robert redford heads a group of specialists who test the security of various san francisco companies martin is approached by two national security agency officers who ask him to steal a newly invented decoder martin and his team discover that the black box can crack any encrypted code posing a huge threat but if it lands in the wrong hands, when Martin realizes the NSA men who approached him were rogue agents, they frame it for murder of the device's inventor. Sneakers opened on September 9th, 1992, against Honeymoon in Vegas, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, uh, Unforgiven, Single White Female, and, of course, The Mighty Ducks. It would go on to make $105 million worldwide on a $23 million budget. That's what I saw, Emily. I know that we had we had discussions. It's, no, I, I was just going to ask for covering Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, because that sounds when, great. <laughs> yeah, whenever we decide to cover that, obviously. Uh, Sneakers has 80% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 80% from audiences. Roger Ebert gave the film two and a half stars, saying Sneakers tells the story of a legal break-in team. Uh, the computer stuff in Sneakers has been widely touted, but it is underwhelming in the movie. The big display of the secret program consists of a screen full of alphabet soup, which then unscrambles itself into a decoded message. Uh, there are good qualities to the movie. The break-ins are directed with skill and imagination by Phil Alden Robinson, who directed and wrote Field of Dreams. And his screenplay gives the character some interesting things to say. It is sometimes entertaining movie, but thin. I want to read just a small portion of an article that I sent to you guys. I don't know if you had a chance to read it by past and future guest, Carrie Corkin. I know that, Liz, you were quite ill, so uh, I didn't expect I'm you to read it. I'm thrilled to read it. Uh, I, try really not to read, I try not to read anything written by someone other than myself. So uh. <laughs> That's fair. Fair enough. Uh, so Carrie uh, wrote this for Brightwell Dark Room. She says... Sneakers is a film about a lot of things, ever advancing modern technology, personal privacy in the early days of the digital age, still frosty international relations of the post-Cold War era, guys being dudes, uh, the ways in which the American government, to put broadly, sucks, but it's also a movie about age. We can't just undo the things we did when we were young and stupid. We cannot expect that we can run away, change our names, change our lives, do one silly little good deed, and be better. Erase the record of it ever happening. The past is always going to catch up with us, and the older we get, the harder it is to outrun. Our young, dumb selves are always waiting for us lurking in the air vents crouching under the stairwell hanging just around the corner i realize of course that saying all this makes sneakers sound terribly serious which it is sometimes but mostly it isn't it's a sunday afternoon kind of movie the kind of light-hearted caper that walked so soderbergh's oceans trilogy could run a film that is just as much about a good hang as it is a good heist um it's a great article that i highly recommend everybody read because i do think that um it gives a little bit of perspective on what I think is this movie really is about aging out a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's about sort of trying to catch up with technology and trying to catch up with your younger self. The movie opens in 69 with a young version, two actors who shockingly look very much like a young. The Redford, Redford comp Red is <laughs> wild. It's like... wild. Yeah. And, and that whole idea of, of being sort of an anti-establishmentarian and then hitting a certain point in your life and having to sort of come to grips with the fact that you're no longer the rebel, I, I do think is also very much a part of this movie too. But. I, I love the comp to Oceans. I think that also just in terms of like, Oceans also exists in this weird point in technology where like 
you could still make a movie that takes place in current time Mm -hmm. while not going overboard with the usage of it and not making it super um, informed by that. The age thing for me is something I've been thinking about a lot. I want to talk about the fact that Redford's playing younger here than he is in real life. (laughs) Yes. Which is just like not like, like pretty dramatically younger than he he is in real life. Yes. I I think that is like something that did not occur to me until one of my quarantine walks this week of like, (laughs) he's, because I was like, well, how old could, I mean, truly, my first thought was like, how old could he have been in All the President's Men? As you know, is a movie that's very important to me. And then I found out he was almost 40 years old when he did All the President's Men. Really? Which which then like completely, um, hang on, sorry, my iPad just started playing. Which the is Robert, great. So that's thrilling for me. The Robert know. Redford arc is that, like, he spends like ten years trying to become a star, mm-hmm. and Hollywood's like, "This guy's a star, right?" And it never works. And then Butch Casting and the Sundance Kid, he blows up. But he's in his thirties when that happens, and it's, it's really uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking at his filmography. So I, full disclosure, did a a Robert Redford double feature episode uh, about two weeks ago on Indecent Proposal and Up Close and Personal, um, two movies uh, uh, that aren't great. The but two feature... roles I most associate Robert yeah. Redford with. Yeah. <laughs> but Interesting it, it, decision. It was, it was an attempt to sort of harness in on the, like, hot, old, older Redford. Like, yeah. a, a sort of horny, older Redford thing. Yeah. Um, but to your point, Emily, the early part of his career is kind of to your point like nine years of movies that don't really exist and then it's barefoot in the park in there too like he's he's uh obviously nothing wrong with with doing bit parts in movies and doing guest roles on tv but like hollywood was so sure this guy's a star and ultimately they were right but like it just they could not figure out how to make how to turn him around i think because in that era movie stars were increasingly like kind of um, character actor-y, you know, that sure, was when sure, Dustin sure. Hoffman yeah. and De Niro and so on all broke through. And Robert Redford's well, classically handsome. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting then that he's paired with Paul Newman, who I think is the uh, is similar to that, where he's like classically handsome. He kind of he kind of played character role, character actor roles, but like was just always broke through because he was so magnetic. But I really like if you had held a gun to my head, I would have been like he was 25 when he shot Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. And I do think part of that is because of how much older Paul was in that. Like, you just sort of sure. feel like he's the old guy, you know? And, like, by the way, not saying anybody in their mid-30s is old, bless. I'm like, please don't. But, like, <laughs> I, but like I genuinely thought that's this is when movie stars break. They break when they're in their mid-20s. So, like, I assume that. I think it's so fascinating that, he's not and then like the run then that he goes on the other thing that happens and that one i want to talk about with this movie and i think this has to do with age and also with the difference of where we are now where we make movies is redford got famous and i think became a movie star when he became political like he's the one who got all the president's men he's the one who produced all the president's men this movie is a political movie it starts with them having the republican national convention make uh, a donation to like greenpeace or something black it's Panthers, like i think oh right it's the black panthers amazing and then they're talking about like they have nixon's personal bank account like Ooh, where are we gonna get that money like they talk about reagan and how bad he is in this like they it is a constant film about how bad republicans are and how great liberal democrats are 
I just think it's fascinating to like, first of all, we could not make that movie today and have it be a blockbuster. And any, we couldn't make that movie today and have anyone greenlight it um, for this type of budget. Sure. And then, but you kind of look at his career and you look at, I'm also rewatching Watchmen. So like Redford is, political Redford is top of mind. <laughs> but like, I think it's really fascinating to see those two things kind of become parallel with each other and how he really wasn't shy about it. You know, that he was always pretty outspoken. He's not shy about any of his political beliefs, really. At the same time, he's not like, I mean, I do think it's interesting that this movie is also about a fear of technology, a fear of information, a fear of like the government, you know, manipulating all of these various things. Um, He doesn't, I mean, I don't know. I, I, at the, as political as he is, he's also kind of a little bit apolitical. Like, I don't feel as though he's a guy who's really sort of. Well, I don't think he's radical, forceful. but I wouldn't. But yes. Yeah, I don't think he's a radical political, but political operative. But I do yes. think like he's not Republican. Like, That's, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. you can you can establish that that he's like not a conservative Republican, which I think it, and he isn't shy about coming out and saying that. Which yeah. that, at a minimum, I think is impressive of just sort of where we've come to and where we're at. I like I want to say that growing up very conservative Robert Redford was on like a list he wasn't Jane Fonda Jane Fonda was like the top of that list of like we don't like her but like it was (laughs) it was her and Beatty and Redford as just like Mm -hmm. these are crazy wacko lefties and like Redford's like not that far left he's 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 like seven out of ten but um like yeah that that was and I do wonder this movie by no means was a flop but it made less money than you'd expect it to and then anyone expected it to when it was greenlit it made 51 million in the u.s Mm -hmm. and i do think some of it is that this movie is sort of forthrightly uh has characters who are forthrightly anti-republican and it plays it jokey but yeah Yeah. i mean when he goes it's like this it's like the third or fourth scene when he gives money to the homeless man and he's like the government is taking my apartment he's like talk to that guy and it's a picture of ronald reagan is it right? It's right. I think it's Bush. It's Bush. Oh, it's, oh yes, I do. It will be Bush. Yeah, yeah kind of want to say. Um, but I think it's interesting how much they. Although it is funny that they don't make a bigger joke about Bush being the former head of the CIA, which is right. kind of interesting. Yeah, but, it's like, yeah. <laughs> literally blame him. But I, yeah. I think it's. I don't know. I think just in talking Redford, like it, it's hard to not parallel his career with sort of with politics i mean he established himself so quickly as Mm -hmm. as a political figure you know in turn in in hollywood i also just read the george clooney quote about what he said to trump and it's iconic if we're gonna have new redfords i think clooney's up there (laughs) i i think that the thing too about redford is how the aesthetics fold into the perception of him right like he mm-hmm. is he is such an all-american blonde hair blue-eyed like the reason he doesn't get the graduate is literally because of the way that he looks mm-hmm. and mike nichols being like this is not what we're going for um and i think that that kind of also makes people assume a certain thing about him right that he kind of looks like a republican like i, I mean not not to you know you're talking to, to somebody whose rush. son literally looks like he's the <laughs> chair of the young republicans league he has he has the redford look he has like the long blonde hair it's, it's and the rosy cheeks he just looks like it i get it i think <laughs> i like i i think it's really interesting that he then combats it by being like i'm yes. but i'm not 
Yeah. I'm talking about my son, not Redford, obviously. Yes, no, I, no, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. But your, yeah, I mean, your, yeah, your son is very active. Like, uh, I have frequently been harangued by him about like I know, how we, you know, like we should be saying yes in my backyard, not no in my <laughs> I, backyard. I know. Yeah, like I, it's, it's, he's it's, just it, yeah. he corners me at every part. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It is. It is interesting. For those too, that don't know, I have my son is 19 months old. So at this point, <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> I do think though that you know, and then on top of everything, you have obviously the Sundance Film Festival. You have yeah. sort of Redford being sort of this very pro art form guy who believes in sort of you know people having the freedom to be able to express themselves however they see fit, uh, which I do think falls into this film. I mean, I do think that this movie is about sort of you know, freedom of identity, freedom of information, you know, the, the fear of people manipulating it uh, and, and just government organizations in general. I mean, this movie is pretty... I think this movie is about how hot he is. Like, look, I would love to have a conversation <laughs> I mean, about the politics, but, like, he wears those jeans well. He Let does. me just say. He wears some paid-ass jeans in this movie, and I was like, whoa, hello, sir. Um, yeah, That's so this movie is mostly about hotness. Uh, I, it really is like you look at the, the first of all i love that the vhs box is just like a list of mm-hmm. there's very few movies i mean it's really like oceans like these ensemble movies you could do it with the big chill now but not then like they sure. weren't movie stars now then it's redford poitier dan Aykroyd, river phoenix mm-hmm. david right there Mary McDonald, uh, Mary McDonald, Mary McDonald, Ben, ben Kingsley, Kingsley song, Ben Kingsley, yeah. Ben Kingsley, like it, bangers all across the board. Every, yeah. I think every single one of them have been nominated or won an Academy Award, which right. is fucking wild. Like it's, it's wild. just I, they're and they're all hot. Like I don't know if they're all peacocks, but they're all hot. Yeah, I, uh, I the, there's a thing like we're talking about this movie in terms of like sort of lofty themes and political ideals sure. and stuff. And that's in there, but yeah. this movie's just the big chill with Goonies. Like that's yes. all it is. It, <laughs> it is. That, like, hundred percent. It's like what if what if we were disillusioned middle aged hippies, but also we had like a treasure map. And it's like okay, like I I uh, you know that's that's great. That's great yeah. fun. And like I know Not this true. was born out of research for war games. Um, yeah. but yeah, like I think. You know, I certainly don't think that it's uh, not worth discussing the politics of this movie because they're interesting. And I think in many ways, it's a movie that was released at exactly the wrong time. And that's part of why it wasn't a hit. I mean, it was a double. Like, I'm not going to say it didn't make money, sure. but but um, it's, I mean, you texted me and you were like, what if it came out in like 97 or something along those lines? I honestly think 94, like even just deeper into the, the Clinton. Here's years, the sort of big problem. It mm-hmm. comes out at a time. 1992, when we haven't figured out the new geopolitical state. So this movie's kind of like, uh, is Russia the enemy? Have we figured we, that out yet? Are we Just, mad at Russia? <laughs> when are we going to figure that out? I mean, yeah. no, like, like he, now, like if you yeah. made it in 97, Post- it would be stateless yeah. terrorists, you know? Sure, sure, sure. By then, we'd sort of figured out terrorists are, right, we don't right, like right. them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, uh, if you made it in 94, I think you'd still kind of be in that a- be right. a- Cold yeah. Cold War after, after Hayes. Also, it's made too early for people to really be into computers, but it's That's also true. like a very like it's it's very attached to a brand of democratic politics superficially, not very deeply, but that was sort of going out of favor. Like Bill Clinton is the Democrat who's not any of those things. Yeah. And so it's like it's out of time in a weird way where I think 97 
people were getting tired of Clinton. It would have been terrorists. You know, people were very into computers at that point. I think that, you know, my wife was like, I always get this, that movie confused with hackers. And I was like, hackers came out several years later. And she was like, well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, They're also I, several years younger than the entire cast of this movie. And that movie's also <laughs> that movie's very like fuck the man, anti-establishment, how do we like yeah. you know what I mean? Like hack the planet. Like it was that just this whole bad, like, right? I haven't yes. seen that since I was like Covered. 14. There are people that bad. love it though. Okay. All right. But no, I, I think I it's mean, more it's, nostalgia, but you know. I think there's something like just in now that Angelina Jolie is Angelina Jolie, like there's something very yes. fascinating to watch and basically, and you know, like one of her first role, and then the two of them get married, but like <laughs> one of her first roles. How you, I always say, like, you can still see that she's going to be Angelina Jolie through the cracks of the movie. But I think going to what you're saying, though, there is one problem that I think wouldn't have worked in 97 and I think works against this movie in 1992. They're hot, but they're old. Like, who's going to see this movie? I think that, that for me is like, the fact that this, also the name of the movie, Bless Its Heart, is Sneakers, which, sneakers. like, doesn't tell anybody. I read in something that, like, Phil Alden Robinson had to add profanity to the script so that it wouldn't get a G rating, so that, like, people would know it was not a kid's movie, <laughs> which I love that they were like, we're not changing the title, we're going to add fucks. Like, it's just <laughs> like, okay, I like the where everybody's at, but it's Did interesting you- to me. Did you ever play that game where, like, as a kid, that they had in every school? I think where there's like a guy with a big hat. He pulls down like big shoes and big, and he walks around solving math problems. Yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar. No. I, that that if you had named this sneakers. sneakers and it was rated G, I would have been like, is this just an adaptation? Is it just like Robert Redford walking around solving <laughs> math problems? Would watch, but but I think that like yeah, the title, title and then the age of the cast again bangers all hot but like i i don't know who this movie is directed to uh, directed at other than boomers of that era our parents who were democrats like i think that's like it's a very specific group of people and then it's also people who like watch the trailer and understand kind of what the movie is versus the title so it's an the fact that all of these things happen, that it still made $100 million worldwide, and that it is, like, the biggest writer Twitter movie of all time is fascinating to me. I, 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 bringing up the writer thing, I think, is worth noting just for a second, too, because I do think that this movie, as I was watching it this time, I was painfully aware of what you were talking about, Emily, of that this movie really, the mission of this movie doesn't kick in until, like, an hour 10 in terms of, like, what they're really going to do. And I think that's also a vestige of, like, 80s, right? So, like, it feels structurally like it's kind of still existing in a time that... If you release this in 97, you'd need way more shit happening in that first, you know, hour, 10 minutes. But guys, he has to walk super slow. He has to walk super slow. (laughs) It feels... It's not produced by Spielberg, but it has that late 80s produced by Spielberg feel. The music yes. is very soaring yeah. at times. Yeah. That James scene Warner. where yeah. David Strathairn oh, is driving the van, yeah. even uh, though he's blind, yeah. it's like, I'm like, this is such a, like, it just, a lot of this movie, I think part of the disconnect we feel on how old they are is they kind of behave like they are in E.T. Just a little yes, bit. Totally. Yes, yes, totally. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, can, it is a Parks McDonald movie. They do yeah. produce things with, they have produced things with Spielberg. Like, it has that vibe. You can, I mean, like, 
and I feel like it's there. There are some actors you can get away with that with, but I'm sure. not sure. Like Redford, I'm not sure Redford tracks for the audience in that way. Like I think he's great in this movie, and I think he sure. sells it. But I think if you are just like a casual moviegoer who's like, "What the fuck is this?" Like that, just like it doesn't quite add up. He falls over the counter like three minutes into the movie. And it's kind of genius in the Redford and Field and Robinson statement of like, this will not be a cool Redford movie. Like there's something really interesting about he's going to trip, he's going to fall, he's going to make an ass of himself. Like, but people who are going to see this movie are not like, they don't know, you know, that's, they're expecting Redford the hero. Like that, this is not that. I like, I would, the Davis with Aaron driving the van, which is Davis with Aaron in this movie is iconic. He's so He's great. So good. He's Whistler. so funny. Whistler. So funny. Does it sound like a cocktail party? So funny. <laughs> yeah. That is the biggest set piece in the movie. Him driving the van <laughs> blind while they are coaching him is literally the biggest set piece in the movie, which or is Redford moving slowly <laughs> or Redford moving slowly, um, which I think is going to what you're talking about of sort of like the Amblin world is like, it wasn't really meant in the eighties. It wasn't about the set pieces. It was about the family and the community. And then like we have, a and then ET flies. It's like, you know, it's not about that, which I think is really interesting. There's a scene in this movie. So I was rewatching the first like half hour this morning with Brian. There's a scene in this movie that is so Spielberg and it's so wild. It's the first, it's the scene where Redford goes to meet with, uh, my guy, uh, your guy, uh, your guy. um, West Wing, uh, oh, Busfield, Bus- 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 yes. goes to meet yes. with Busfield and uh, yes. Papa Kent at the NSA office. <laughs> it is a wonder. That scene is, is a wonder. Yeah. Oh, wow. Brian was like, when they're in that glass room or whatever, when they're in the yeah, room, no, it's yeah, a wonder, yeah. and it's super Spielberg huh. staged, where it's like yeah, yeah. everybody's just making slight movements to kind of get out of the way, right. but it all feels really natural. It was so. I mean, I watched this movie thirty times. I didn't notice it until I was like, That's interesting. until frankly, Brian was like, "Was that a wonder?" And I was like, "No." And then I went back. <laughs> he was correct. Sure, but it's really, I, I there feels a lot taken from the Spielberg Amblin era of I'm things. Sure. It's just that everyone is about 40 years older than the normal cast of characters. Field of Dreams is that too. Like yeah. like mm-hmm. Phil Alden Robinson as like yep. like new Spielberg, because everyone was trying to find the new Spielberg at this point in time, is like an interesting, weird evolutionary path. And instead he just like after this is yeah, just, just not a big movies. hit. Yeah. He like yeah. he stops making movies for a long time. It's I mean, he writes some stuff uh as as a, a different he writes under a different name. <laughs> for uh does he write under emily st james am he I doesn't alden robinson he doesn't that'd be weird but he he, like uh, he writes ghost dad or a version of hey, ghost dad. unproblematic um, film nothing, nothing problematic <laughs> about that movie uh and he also does a uh a rewrite or does a write a version of the chamber uh that uh the john Ooh. grisham movie um which did he direct that movie too he didn't um okay. i believe it i'm not sure who directed it but then and then I guess he wrote uh, Juliet Naked or a version of that script, did a rewrite on that. So, like, I guess he's just kind of long story short, he kind of goes away. Field of Dreams is a great movie, um, a, a huge hit, an iconic movie. Um, he does Sneakers in 92. He does a film called Freedom Song in 2000, which I've never heard of. It's a but TV then he, movie, I believe. Okay. And yeah. then he does Some of All Fears, which was like a 
a, an attempt, a big attempt to sort of reboot the Jack Ryan thing with Ben Affleck and Morgan Freeman. Never seen it, but they the look on it, Baltimore um, in that. It's they do really okay. Yes, okay. the Baltimore like Oriole Stadium gets it's nuked. Literally, a nuclear bomb goes off. <laughs> the Son of All Fears is like a fascinating movie to me. Whenever I try to like reboot sort of iconic characters, yep. it's so fascinating. Like they kind of did it. No shame, no shade on the hunt for Red October, but I think we can all agree that Harrison is a much better Jack Ryan. And like trying to put, I think ever for anyone ever trying to replace Harrison Ford is like a fascinating problem. Yep. There is something about the movie where Ben Affleck really works in it because sure. he's he's not like Batman Ben Affleck. He's like mm. I buy you sitting behind a desk and being an analyst Ben Affleck. Also, Leah Schreiber plays like the badass oh. in the movie, which is yeah. really just amazing um it was released it was supposed to be released like on 9-11 like it was like supposed to be released september 2001 yeah it it was a movie that i think like wouldn't have been such a failure had it not yeah come out right after worldwide you know tragedy uh, happened but i don't know it's not bad like director wise it's not bad i think phil alden robinson's a good director and I'm, i'm a little surprised that i mean as we've said, this movie wasn't a huge hit, but this movie wasn't a failure. Like, yeah. I, the fact that this would put somebody in quote-unquote movie jail, and I'm, I don't mean to suggest that that's what happened. Maybe he was just like, oh, I don't know. I do work think the September 9th date is interesting. That suggests mm. that this movie, which had a lot of hype as a script, the studio looked at it and was like, we don't know how to sell this. We're just going to dump it. Yes. Yeah. And we're going to help the stars carry it, to which to some degree they did because it, it yeah. did do well. But yeah. like it, it like I think there was a lot of hype around this. Uh, sure. Somebody, uh, somebody who like read it was like, that's what a hundred million dollar script looks like. And, right. you know, yes. obviously, if we believe the worldwide numbers, which I was never able to source, so I'm not sure I do, sure. but I'm going to just say I believe it did make 100 million worldwide, but it made 50 million domestic. And at that yeah. time, that was a lot more. So, like, I do think the studio didn't have faith in this for whatever reason. So, and I will say, I will say this. Yes. This is a cable movie. Like, this is kind yes. of a better cable movie than a theatrical. And, like, that's oh, obviously okay. going to be its long tail. You know, this movie has commercial breaks built into it in a real way. This is a movie that, I mean, I watched it a lot as a kid on VHS. This was just one of those movies that, and, and again, I can't, I think it's just to highlight what both of you are saying, which is I think it is the Spielbergian kind of Amblin y vibe that just worked for me as a kid and you've got these you know classic great actors that are just killing it that as a kid i didn't necessarily translate that but now i'm like yeah i probably just recognize that these people are fucking good at their jobs and like they're just good actors uh it's it is kind of weird that they didn't know what to do with it because it does feel pretty promotable to me like even the poster which is them like peering underneath a peeled up portion of the poster i'm just like you didn't put their faces on the poster i mean i really i have to say like i don't think they thought that hard about this because they left the name sneakers in as the title of the movie which like is never mentioned once it's not like that was their nickname it's not like that's their company name like it's not it doesn't make sense at all that that is like that's not like lingo that we use for hackers. It's so it's just like a weird misrepresentation of the story. I think I think the thing like that maybe fights against it or why it's had why what fought against it at the 
when it was released, but mm. has the longevity is the tone is so good in this movie. And this goes to the Amblin conversation. And I think the Steven conversation, because I feel like Spielberg is obviously known for almost everything, but I think the thing that is the most underrated about him is tone. Like he just gets it and he knows how to make adults love a movie and he knows how to make kids love a movie. And he like has it. And so does Phil Alden Robinson. Like, Field of Dreams shouldn't be that funny. And, like, James Earl Jones is just a comedian in the movie. Like, he's just flat-out hilarious. Amy Madigan is fantastic. Like, there's so much comedy in that, that like, Kevin Costner is just sort of, like, the dolt in it. Like, he's just kind of, like, bumbling. And then in this, just, like, everyone is... He's, like, Redford's a little bit the straight man. But, like, Sidney Poitier is hilarious in it. And, And the comedy of the tone and then sort of Redford bringing us back down to reality of like, we're all going to get killed works for this movie when you really watch it. And when you become sort of like ingratiated with how I think as an adult of where you're like, is this a Sidney Poitier comedy? Are those words that go together? Like it's, it's amazing. Absolutely. I I, I also James, think James Earl yes. Jones cameo in this. It's also uh, like James Earl Jones is uh, like, a, he's been funny in right. many things, but yeah. he's, he's yeah. very, and he's like, he is playing a straight man, but his increasing exasperation with, again, the characters in this movie behave like kids. And it's yes. so, yes. it's yes. just, it's interesting, but there's also like, you know, um, that last scene where they're all asking for like their big things. You're like, Oh, yeah. that, that could be done with the stranger things. <laughs> absolutely well it's done with the armageddon cast 20 years later so absolutely (laughs) i I also think just to 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 underline the tone of it all like this movie is very playful but it also has kind of a menacing spookiness to it in a totally like approachable way i also think so much of that goes i'm just gonna say no it doesn't i don't think it has that (laughs) i I think i actually think that i mean when i say that i mean in the spielbergian sense of the term not in the like that that's what i mean that that like it has some stakes to it and i think that the score leans into some of the there's there's a little bit of menace to ben kingsley in this movie he's not sexy beast or anything like that but like there is something or is he what or if he it, came in as his sexy beast I mean, character? That would be just something. Entered the middle of this movie and was like, "Yes, yes, yes, yes." <laughs> this is that feels a little closer, to like Iron Man three in yes. his performance yes. world. Sure, sure, but I but I also think you know we talked about this. Kenny and I talked about this in, uh, early in our ninety nine thing, but there there is something about being in steady hands and knowing intent, and it, it that's everything. Field of Dreams is a perfect example of a movie that if you think about makes no fucking sense. I don't know what the rules are necessarily of what's going on in that movie, but it totally works because you're just like on a ride and you know that this person. I still don't works. know if people can see the baseball this players. Is, this is like, my point. <laughs> I Look, I don't have a problem with it, but I am 37 years old and I don't understand if people are coming to look at an empty fucking field or if like in the field of dreams universe 30 years later we are all going there because holy shit it's aliens didn't show up you know like it wasn't it wasn't the leftovers it is just we got the 1927 white Sox to come and play baseball on a field in Iowa yeah, I let. It's time to reboot Field of Dreams. It's a limited series, but it's a legacy. They tried. Um, it's Mike it's, sure uh, tried. It didn't they, happen. Uh, oh, Mike, sure. Listen, that's a good. That's that's good. I like. Listen, that. here's the thing, though. Like you, y'all. This is you know. Sometimes I bring my my knowledge of having grown up from in the country, and sometimes Are you wearing your knowledge go, hat. 
Yeah, my, my knowledge has. Yeah. Sometimes it's baseball ghosts come out of a cornfield. Sometimes that's just a thing that happens where I grew up. I get and it. you're like, okay, sure. I, and get, like, I get yeah. I I I I get it. I get it. But does everybody see them? This is, well, this is the thing. This is we're in our blue America bubble. We don't understand that. Yes, everyone oh. sees the baseball ghosts back where I come from. <laughs> you have to believe. You have to oh, believe. Right. You have to believe. We're I so think cynical. That's the rule, or that yeah. that, or that's the like thing of that movie that really gets me is like. So I can't see them if I don't believe in them. Like, but but why couldn't just everybody see them? Also, they can't leave the baseball demon. Um, or they'll die but because of the rocks but he doesn't die he just turns into a man that was already dead so then he dies again there's a lot i can look i got some questions I got some notes. but this is but this comes back to sort of my point about this movie which is that if you put this movie under a microscope i also think you'd have questions right I but like a lot of notes on this one i'm not gonna lie don't have a lot you of do questions or don't. i do not you know why oh. pretty thin okay so, because like there's actually not that much to poke holes in the one just, thing, the one yeah. thing I have a note on, Brian yes. and I were talking about this, is so the amazing James Earl Jones scene, which Brian might have to come in to do uh, yeah, a, an impression. Oh, God. Um, or maybe not. But uh, the this is not a car dealership, pal, is like maybe the yes. greatest line great of line. all time. Yeah. It's yeah. incredible. Um, <laughs> the scene, so they get all of these things, right? They get like, He's going to Tahiti with his wife. He's getting all these things. They get to the Winnebago. Thing. Yeah, he gets yeah. to Winnebago. Yeah. Then the next thing we hear is that the Republican National, uh, or like the D- the Democratic Convention, or whatever it is that they've got. The RNC is of out of money. The yeah. RNC is out of money, and then there's like been donations made elsewhere. And da da da. Yeah. Wouldn't James Earl Jones just immediately be like, "Yo, Redford, you fucked me, bro." Like, give me the Winnebago back. Like, that's my first. They'd all, like, first of all, they'd all, all be absolutely killed they'd all yes. be buried like they're all they're all dead <laughs> like, yes. there's no way that the government allows them to walk away with the chip that but yes i mean it's whatever i i don't know i i feel as though this movie i know you don't have any questions liz and that's great. I have none zero none but my I, only and, question and, and, is why didn't we get a sequel but i understand it it's fine i i don't have any questions either i think this really? movie explains itself pretty well Okay. Like, but I here's mean, they the did thing. Have like, help from the Office of Naval Intelligence. I used, so, you know, I used to like be very into like hacking stuff. Like, I would, I didn't like hack anything. I've never hacked, but like, I would read about it. And like, sure. all the stuff in this movie is drawn from that in like a way that was instantly sort of readable to me. I would have called this movie Freaks with a PH because <laughs> that's what they do. They phone freak. A lot of what they do is phone freaking and you use the pH and that immediately gives you like, what the fuck is that? And then Robert Redford can go on. Is Johnny Carson still alive? Yeah, probably. Robert Redford can go on the tonight show and be like, well, you see a freak is when you're hacking with a phone. That's why it says pH pH R E A K S. And Johnny Carson's like, Oh, oh that's interesting. <laughs> that's I mean, I, I'm not this. against it. Yeah. I think you, I, I think this is a movie where you got to have a weird ass title. So I just think I'd be uncomfortable with that title and like Redford's chase on it. It just feels like his, it feels like I just would be like, you're not cool. Like you like, it'd be like a thing where you're like, Redford, stop trying to be cool. You're not cool. Like this, what makes you cool is wearing the baseball jacket that you're wearing out of your like beat up Carmen Ghia. By the way, the same cool. jacket from the natural. I read that. That's wild. Which I think is amazing. 
thinking about like the tech angle of this movie, like it was yes. written, it was, it came out of research they did for war games mm -hmm. and like oh, the stuff they couldn't fit into war games. Cause war games was like very much, uh, and you can see the, the lineage there, but if they had just made this in 1985, like then I think like it, like a lot of the like stuff that feels weird that middle-aged people are doing it, they would have been like, mm, not 10 years. You, you could have yes. credibly gotten away yeah. with having a tent actors who were 10 years younger playing everything sure. in 85. Sure. And I think that some of it would have scanned a little bit more, but I don't know. Um, I, I want to see where like, I was I want to see where Redford was at in his career. I just like he wanted, was in an interesting. Place. I think the it was poster literally right after indecent proposal. The poster should have been Redford pulling open like like a jacket, and his his t shirt says "Hell yeah, I'm a freak," and it's called <laughs> PH. I want to just talk, uh, before we talk uh, where Redford was. I want you brought up the technology thing, and I think it's worth. Uh, I just want to read a very small quote from Carrie's article about this because I think it taps into something that I think is very interesting. Uh, to genuinely believe that a whole new rotten system won't spring up in the aftermath, that people won't find a way to establish social hierarchies, that it could be possible in the state of capitalist reign to fully bleed the ideology from our DNA is to be either very young or willfully ignorant. Martin knows this. Cosmo isn't, unlike many techno-fascists today or disruptors who break the systems under the guise of democracy, but really it's assertions of power. They're agents of chaos, not change, out to remake the world in their own image. And I, I have to say, watching it this time, Cosmo did feel very Elon, very yes. Zuckerberg to me, of like a guy who just kind of really just wants to break everything and isn't really all that interested in putting it back together again. I don't think Cosmo would travel down to the border and wear a cowboy hat backwards. I feel like you he'd say be that. smarter than that. That happened today, Liz. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, wait. Yes. Elon went down to the border with a cowboy hat. Elon went to the backwards. border, took <laughs> a congress. cowboy hat backwards? There's a right way It doesn't look great. It doesn't look great. Emily's going to do it right now. Just yeah. It just looks weird. Like you could, it looks, like it's not. It's off. It's not that's, wrong. Okay. I, 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 it's not I'm just going to say it's not terrible. I'm going to say it's not. By the way, it, this it is not a worse pro on Elon, Elon comment. I'm just yeah, saying, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, well, he can wear like, anything the right way. He still looks like a fucking prick. But, like, I'm just curious of how. You that. can tell he's never worn a cowboy hat. That's, that's just, the point. It sits kind of high on his head. He's got it backwards. He's wearing sunglasses. He's wearing a weird T-shirt. My favorite tweet described him as it looks like when you go to the uh, customization shop in Grand Theft Auto, but you don't have enough money, so you just <laughs> buy random stuff. <laughs> but, like, he does have enough money. Yeah, I hate he does. that. Yeah, I hate Billionaires him so much, but who, I... it's just like, oh, God. How but does I do he not have a stylist? Is I, that's thing. what I'm saying. Like people who dress poorly and have millions and millions of dollars, I truly do not understand. Like it does not make sense to me. It's also you're like you're wearing jeans and a t-shirt. It shouldn't be that hard. I Whatever. I don't disagree. I'm a low-level staff writer and I always look great. So you do. It's true, Emily. Elon. Have we talked about that... the hat yet today? I don't know that we have. <laughs> I I'm excited think, for though... people on the Patreon to see that. <laughs> They're gonna see the hat and it's gonna be great. Um... <laughs> I do think, though, that, like, there is this, especially with Cosmo, like, the Cosmo-Martin relationship, which starts from a place of being sort of immature and looking to sort of, like, you know, break the system. Cosmo never grows up, right? Like, Cosmo right. goes to jail, um, is thought to be dead, and then, spoiler, he's not dead. Um, he has a ponytail, though. He has a ponytail. And an accent? I don't know what the accent is. Guys, we got to talk about the accent. Is it Brooklyn? 
Is it because it Madi is basically the only uh, time we hear it? It's really bad. It's <laughs> really know. bad. It's like it's weird. I don't know where he's. I, here's I'm question. Why did he have to have an accent at all? Is this like, leftovers from Bugsy? Because he does Bugsy in '91, <laughs> and I'm wondering if this is just like he's this is like, like why Leo has had the same accent from like since like just couldn't shake it. New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know because it's very odd. Um, I don't know what he's doing, but I do like the fact that you know, in terms of what happens ultimately, Martin gets away with it, goes to Canada. I don't know, on his jaunt to Canada, then goes to San Francisco, changes his name, lives under an alias, and is sort of running this kind of, you know, ragtag group of people that do this job. Um, and in these, in the sort of years that have gone by, I think Martin has kind of become a little bit more grounded and, and is a little bit more self-aware. Cosmo hasn't, and he wants to kind of wield this power with this technology. To what end, I don't really know that. Like, Cosmo's, like, in with mobsters, and, like, I, I just don't totally know this what he is, wants to do with this. This is not a problem with the movie, but I think yeah. <clears throat> it is interesting that it does not posit Martin as being a fulcrum point between someone who's more establishment and then the yes. total anti-establishment uh, behavior of Cosmo. Yes. You know, if the if the guys from the government were actually from the government and not just working with Cosmo, you know, you'd like like then you'd feel like maybe there's like a like a push and pull, but it's just kind of like Martin doesn't really have to grapple with the way that he's sold out, I guess, Correct. which is like a, a conflict you expect to be set up from the first scene that kind of is there, but also they don't seem that interested in it. <clears throat> I mean, when we meet Martin, you know, he, as you, as you mentioned, Liz, he's falling over counters. You know, he's, he's not, he doesn't really have his shit together. You've got that great moment with the clerk that's like, doesn't sound like much of a living or something to that effect. Or oh, like yeah, she hands like... him, she hands him a check and is like, Whoa, it's, so, <laughs> it's so brutal. It's really brutal. Yeah. So, like, he kind of is existing, but even he knows he hasn't fulfilled his potential. Yeah. You know, I, which I do think is is an interesting way to come into this character. And I would argue, Emily, to your point, by the end of this movie, has he fulfilled his potential? I mean, I, I... it's, yeah. I mean, he it's... got Liz back, even though she said that she wasn't going to start dating him again. So there's That's that. true. He did win the girl. Who so. I am, I, I have, here's where I, I do have notes. I don't have notes on the yes. logic, but I have notes on her character. Sure. Who the fuck is she? I like, she's, she's a, teaching a kid piano. She's a, she's a piano teacher, but she's also like a genius chemist and mathematician and like knows oh, all these right. people. That's right. I, he tells her to I come actually, with him because he just. <laughs> yeah. I, I, my theory actually is that she like was somehow involved in the government or in like a rebe or like rebellious not because there's she knows about she knows who he is she does basically i'm pitching the prequel like let's do the prequel how liz and martin met how liz and martin met story <laughs> but i also feel like computer and maybe dating. i'm wrong but did you guys get the sense that she worked with them in the past with yeah. this team okay and i because yeah. they all stop they all stop walking right <laughs> And then they turn around. I definitely I, got that. Yeah. yeah. Can I? Okay, wait. Can we? Can, yes. I'm sorry. Just to go real real quick back to yeah. his career, which I think is really yes. fascinating. Yes, yeah, please, please. Okay. So he has his 70s run. Yes. Where he's just, he's the biggest movie star on the planet. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So all the president's men, 1976. Yes. Then we do a bridge too far. Mm-hmm. The electric horseman. Mm-hmm. Brubaker. Mm-hmm. which made no money. And then he directs Ordinary People, iconic, back on top. Like, sure. incredible, incredible movie if nobody's Is seen he it. the first, forgive me, I could be wrong. Is he the first actor-director to win Best Director? It feels like he was the beginning of something. Am I totally well, Orson wrong didn't win, but he was nominated, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he wasn't. Um, I'm looking this no. up. I feel like it, I think he is the first, but I'm going to make sure that, that movie, that by is the way, fucking bangs. Lawrence Olivier. So oh, okay. Which for, is like for a Shakespeare. Uh yeah, for Henry um, V. Hamlet. Hamlet. Or did he? No, he lost. He lost to John Huston. Well, fuck him. Okay. Um, I, I, it just. Well, John Huston. Always... John Huston's an actor. There you go. Yes, but he. Okay. I think he was known as a director first. It just feels so, like Redford yeah. to me is the beginning of actor, certainly male white actors thinking that they can direct. Anyway, yes. moving on. It's, defi- it's um, definitely like the beginning of a wave of them happening. You know, whether yes. if you yes. want to say like Mike Nichols was an actor, which he kind of sure. was, you know, but like sure. it's this wave. But then you of, get Costner yeah. a few years later. And I mean, yeah. like it's, it, it happens. Anyway, so. I mean, it's, well, it's literally Redford Bain. Yeah. 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 Um, yes. 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 Okay. So Woody Allen. I think Woody Allen's the starting okay. point. Let's just we don't, we don't need to talk about Woody Allen. No, let's let's just, we're going to be past that. <laughs> we're, we will yeah. talk about him at some point. We have two movies from '92 to talk oh, about. Oh no! We got uh, husbands and wives and shadows and fog to talk about at some point, Emily. We could just skip those. Yeah, we could skip those. Uh, Emily, I feel sorry, like he's, Liz. He's. I feel like he's. You don't talk about him. Yeah, Anyways, okay. Then it's out of Africa. Nineteen ordinary people. Yeah. The Natural, nineteen eighty four. Out of Africa, 1985. So he's back on top. And then once again, we go Legal Eagles, mm. Waiting for the Moon. No, sorry, that was a thank that you. Is. Legal Eagles, The Milagro Beanfield War, which he was director yeah. and producer of, which made no money. That doesn't exist. Won an no. Oscar for Four. score. Oh, okay. okay. Pretty good score. But so th- there's not a lot of acting. So he goes from Legal Eagles. Mm. To which is uh, 1986 to Havana in 1990 for Paul. No money. A movie that also doesn't exist. And then he does Sneakers in '92. So yeah. it totally. I I want to talk about it because it totally makes sense to him to me that he does Sneakers actually now because I, he I is agree. searching for his acting career. Like, who am I now in my mid 50s, late 50s, like as an actor? And I'll say too. I thought that Indecent Proposal came before it, but it comes after it. You've got yeah. Indecent Proposal going into Up Close and Personal, The Horse Whisper. It feels like there's a kind of run here where he's like, "Can I be old, sexy guy? Can I be yeah. like, can I, you know, 
be that for moms type thing. Um, And then it's his, the last act of his career, not last, I mean, he's not dead. Who knows what he's going to do? But I do think that like, you know, Last Castle, Spy Game, you know, Lions for Lambs, All is Lost. Don't shit on Spy Game. Spy Game's a banger. Spy Game's good, but like, yeah. I I think it's kind of fascinating. If we're talking hotness, we got to talk Brad Pitt hotness in that movie. He is sure. real peak hotness in that movie. And putting, this also like, came up on our text thread. It did. And also putting Brad Pitt and Redford together, like in those eras of their careers, sure. is sort of ingenious because it feels sure. like I do. Now, is the movie fantastic? No. But it's like, good, they're, it's, it's pretty, pretty good. And, and they're oh. great together. Emily, are you a spy game, uh, spy game head? Oh, I don't think I've ever seen it. Um, oh, yeah. I think you'd I'm, like it. I'm looking at. Uh, I'm looking at Robert Redford's career because he famously like retires with the old man and the gun in 2018. Quote unquote retires. Um, Well, he's, he's hasn't really like he made, he did a cameo in Avengers Endgame, which was almost certainly to fulfill some sort of contractual obligation to Marvel. (laughs) And then like, yes, he has left acting behind, except he did a voice in something Mm -hmm. called Omniboat, a fast boat Fantasia in 2020. He played (laughs) Lokia, the dolphin monster. What is this movie? The film is made up of several stories chronicling the life of Lay and Pipe, a 47-foot Top Gun cigarette boat from its conception through the end of human civilized... I gotta watch this fucking yeah, this movie. Wait, I know some of the people that directed on this. Yeah, it's partially <laughs> directed by Daniels. It's yeah. Like, this sounds Lord amazing. worked on this? Dylan Redford worked on this, Ooh, so that's my guess is how... That's, that's how he gets to be Robert the Robert comes on? Um, wait, um, I have to I talk to some friends because movie. that's yeah. I want to. That sounds that. incredible. The I the the thing that mm. now I do think in talking about writer, sorry, sure. actor directors who have sort of broken through, he's one of the most successful, if not the most successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like Quiz Show often gets forgotten, but Quiz Show Quiz Show's fucking rules. That movie Quiz rips. Show is yeah. awesome. Right. Um, like. He just made. I've never seen Lions for Lambs, but I probably should. Um, the only about, Tom Cruise movie you haven't seen. It it. Brian it and I went through our lists the other day <laughs> because we're gonna yes, do. A, well, because we're gonna do a draft with our friends. Oh yeah, that's gonna. Be so fun. we're gonna do a Tom Cruise draft. Sure. And discovered that there are actually five of his movies I haven't seen. Which can I? Can I? I missed one? a lot in the beginning. I've never okay. seen some shocking ones. Like I haven't seen all the right moves. And I and yeah, so there's like some in that Legend? era. Like I've never seen, seen Taps. I saw Legend when I was a kid, but I never sure. haven't seen it again. So like there's some okay. in there. Yeah. But in the most recent run, Lions for Lambs is the only one I've seen. But talk about a movie with like movie stars that nobody just it doesn't yeah, went away. I haven't seen everything Redford's directed. In particular, mm. I haven't seen his two most recent films, but I'm I think he's only directed two really good movies and they're both amazing movies sure but other than that he seems to fall into that pitfall of he doesn't he he makes movies that are like a half hour too long and you're just kind of like well we we do have one to cover which is a river runs through it quiz show rules it's my favorite of his films ordinary people very good and then it's like you know river runs through people really ride for a river runs through it weirdly i don't like that movie I don't like it, but also about, like uh, I've never seen it. It's a fly fishing movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Horse Whisperer is a movie that should be much better than it. Just is too yeah. long. And Legend of Bagger Vance, the less said, the better. So Oof. yes, that's fair. Can yes. we say that Sinkers is his tenth highest grossing film in his career? Which we have to. We have What's to. What's his number one? 
Is it Avengers Endgame? Yeah. So we Avengers Endgame and Captain America Winter Soldier are his number one and two. Sure. Then it goes Indecent Proposal, yeah, Out of Africa, so <laughs> The Horse Whisperer, No, okay. The Sting, Okay. Charlotte's Web, as a voice, sure. Pete's Dragon. Oh, didn't know he was in that. He's he's in the 2016 one, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, Spy Lowry Game, movie. fascinating, and mm. then Seekers, and nice then Butch Seekers. Cassidy. It yeah. must be like, like I wonder what it looked like if you adjusted for inflation. Like that would yeah. be interesting. That is worldwide, yeah. by the way. Let's see. If uh, I, US I, I do want to talk um, about another uh, 1992 filmography very briefly, and that's uh, Stephen Tobolowsky, um, a man uh, who, if you put a gun to my head and said, "What's the movie you think of most?" Sneakers is the one I think of most when it comes no to doubt. Stephen Tobolowsky. Really? Hundred yes. percent. Not Groundhog Day. No. Like just first thing off the dome, that yeah. it's going to be sneakers. I mean, I'm, I don't know. Like, I think I think I watched Groundhog Day ten billion times, so maybe that's it. But I just sure. I feel like, and he said that when people approach him, it's it's about Groundhog. Well, because Ned Ryerson, so, right? Like, yeah. He, yeah. Um. So he is in uh seven movies in 1992. Um. He is in a movie called Wedlock, which I've never heard of. He's in Basic Instinct, a movie called Where the Day Takes You. Never heard of it. Uh. He's in Hero. That uh, Dustin Hoffman, Stephen Frears movie, which is very strange, but kind of interesting. Uh, he's in Memoirs of an Invisible Man, Single White Female, Sneakers, and a movie called Roadside Prophets, where he plays a character named Ranger Bob. Um, hey, that sounds great. <laughs> it sounds pretty good. I think you guys need to cover it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. He's really good in this movie, Emily. What are your thoughts on Tobolowsky and Sneakers? I think he's. I think Tobolowsky's always very good. Like he's yeah. he's definitely doing the Stephen Tobolowsky thing. <laughs> uh, but he's very fun. Like, like the movie again. I to for me the movie kind of deflates. By the, the time long... it gets to him, yeah. you're bored. <laughs> but like, it's good that he's there because he like perks up that section of the movie. But yes. it's definitely, yeah, it definitely feels like it really builds to the midpoint, and then like, you know, well, it's Redford moves really slow. He Redford does move very slowly. I I think that. You're highlighting something that I agree with, Emily, which is that the Liz dating, not Liz Hanna, Liz the character, dating. Me dating. I mean, if you dated Werner Barnes, I mean, that'd be pretty cool. I would date Werner. Brandis, that is. Werner Brandis. I I mean, but, I mean, come on. It's obviously Strathairn's your boy in this. Don't don't be crazy. I know, no, no. I'm 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 Redford and I. We're we're going. Yeah, off I, I don't think there's any. I like it's very hard for me because River Phoenix was like my first crush in sure. in life. Sure. But like, <laughs> peak peak hotness. Redford is peak hotness in this movie. I'm like I think sh- just going through this conversation and like looking through his, there's a lot that you could talk about with like Butch Cassidy or Sting sure. and like sure. young young Redford, but like man, he's that baseball jacket and those jeans. Where's hot. those jeans? I'm yeah. just old enough now that if I mm-hmm. dated 1992 Robert Redford, I wouldn't start an age gap discourse on Twitter, <laughs> but I could still be his like younger, hotter girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that um what I was getting at on the on the Liz and and uh Warner uh Brandis dating is that that is where I think you probably could have tightened the film a little bit. I think that it 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 does kind of I know it's supposed to be quote unquote suspenseful and is part of our mission, but it does feel like if you compress that a little bit, I think it would have gone a long way towards to your to your point of I think there's like 10 minutes out of this movie that could have helped. Yeah, I so, think I think you get okay. 50, you get ten to fifteen out of this, yeah. and it's a much bigger hit. I don't yeah. know. I agree. I think. I mean, I think 
it's the part where like on the vhs tape you kind of like stop paying attention and then yes. you know it's yeah. it's okay i'm just gonna change for a second to city poitier mm -hmm. yes as you who said, sure. is just an icon like mm -hmm. you know i mm -hmm. i saw him speak at uh when afi was still doing those like 10 movies one night thing at the arclight r.i.p the arclight um i saw him introduce in the heat of the night one night and it was like he had like a six page letter that he read it was amazing it was like and he talked about sort of his career and his place in hollywood and like what this movie meant and sort of what's happened since it was amazing and and there him in this movie is so fucking weird like the casting of him in this movie it's like when anybody puts terrence malick on a director's list where you're like yeah sure okay <laughs> like i want to know the development executive who was like let's go to Sidney poitier for this because it's just like there's no reason why he should take it having said that like he's incredible in the role and he's perfect for the movie because he's Sidney he's poitier so and he'd be perfect in anything he's so funny I want to talk about his career for a little bit because I have a reveal for you guys that's coming up. Oh. First of all, so he has, you know, 20, 25 years of sort of being, <laughs> being like one of the most iconic actors of all time. Sure. Then he becomes a director of sort of vastly different films that never really do that great, but he does a ton of movies. He directs like eight movies up from 1972 until 1990 when he directs ghost dad oh, okay. which is where so that, he meets which is where he meets Phil Alden robinson. robinson and then this is why yeah. he's in sneakers yeah it all tracks it, but, listen, i'm, I'm look, putting up my I conspiracy so wall i yeah. love it so much but his yes. he directs a musical in 1985 called fast forward like the he directs a comedy crime called hanky panky in 1982 he does stir crazy in 1980 like he does some really weird stuff that i don't think people would say like 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 Denzel washington did, did fences he did like you know what i mean like Denzel washington is like making serious shit yeah. kevin yeah. costner is making serious shit redford is making serious shit city poitier is like you know what i'm gonna do Hanky panky. Like, I love it. I love I, it. I want the criteria. Some, you know how people make fake criterion covers? Somebody make one for Ghost Dad, a film by Sidney Poitier. <laughs> I want to say, though, yeah. his, his comedic delivery in this movie it's incredible. is very specific and it's incredible. There is a moment uh, near the end of the film before Redford has to walk very slowly where <laughs> Sidney Poitier says, you get all the fun stuff, <laughs> but says it in a way that he's just like, I don't want anything to fucking do with the shit that you have to do. And yeah. it's just, he's, he's just wonderful. And on top of the fact that he also has this relationship with his wife, she has, I think mm -hmm. two scenes, maybe a scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's in, I, yeah. I don't know if she's in the, the end, scene. but she's in the party scene. Yeah. Right. And you're just like, they seem like a totally reasonable married couple. They seem lovely. They seem to yep. like, it, he, they have I, dinner parties. They hang he's out. Just do, he's yeah. running the gamut in this movie. He's always wearing a suit, which is amazing. Yes. Um, his relationship with Aykroyd, it's whose name is Mother, is so great. Where Mother is just constantly asking about CIA, CIA conspiracies. <laughs> it's so funny. Like the it's first great. scene when he's like, so did the earthquake happen before or after you retired? It's like, it's <laughs> it's so good. And he's it's just great. like, I can't deal with this guy. It's, it's so, like great. his, it's, great. his, it's also interesting. 
that he's kind of playing like the older guy in the team, even though I'm pretty sure him and he's Redford the are the age. same age. Yeah. But like he's playing a little bit more the like totally. Well, do we also ever find out why he left the CIA? I can't remember. Yes, he had a, a temper. Remember? Oh, That's right, 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 right. He had a temper. Right, 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 right. Um, but I also yeah. feel like all of Aykroyd's conspiracy theories are things he actually believes. But here's uh, the like funny. here's the thing about Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, like I, I don't think I like like he's a conspiracy theorist. And like every movie he's in now, or for most of his career, has written that in, like all the crazy shit he believes, and the characters make fun of him for it, and he's so game to do that. Mm -hmm. And like this movie has some conspiracies in it that if he literally believed them, I would be like, you do not possess a brain, sir. But (laughs) like, I I don't think like, but he's so willing to be like, okay, you can make fun of my beliefs. Like, you can go that far. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I, I'm fat. It's like, interesting. We've talked about him a lot on this show because he's in a lot of, like, this is kind of peak Acroyd, peak which, is, which is, yeah. I know, the reason you wanted to do 92, Phil. Obviously, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, he's he's coming off his Oscar nomination your fellow for Canadian. Uh, Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's his oh, willingness it's so wild. to just That's be wild. like, please make fun of me for believing JFK is still alive somewhere. And you're like, okay, sure. Have I mean, fun, the whole Dan. thing's just, it, it's, it is pretty crazy. This ha- movie has a deep bench of interesting character actors, too. It's Donald Logue's first role as Gunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, not something I ever would have imagined he would get cast in, but he's, he's you know, he's good in it. Um, I, I think that Redford and, and McDonald have great chemistry. I really think that they feel, I, I really like them together. I also like that it's a passion fish reunion with her and uh, Strath Aaron. Do, you, um, yes. do we remember the 90s sitcom Soul Man? Nope. Nope. <laughs> this is, I just was looking it up because that was like one of the reasons I liked Ackroyd back in the day. It was like, sure. a, by 90, I want to see when this show began. I think it's 97. By 97, he has fallen so far that he's doing a network TV sitcom for ABC called Soul Man, which is a spinoff wow. of Home Improvement about a minister and that's why i watched it because it was a good show about christianity and like oh boy but i just was looking it up and this is literally the only thing that i care to say about it its first season was a three episode order they got a three episode order and they were all big hits because it was after home improvement and then they ordered 22 episodes and nobody watched it um actually no it was the 29th biggest show i question um I don't remember a minister on Home Improvement. So how is it a spinoff? Because he appears, it's the famous backdoor pilot. He appears in one episode and then they're oh, like, oh, okay. and then they had cross pollination. He was Al Borland's minister. And I'm sorry, like, Dan Ack- we're talking about Dan Aykroyd. Dan, was the Aykroyd. Minister? Dan Aykroyd played the minister. And then uh, it also Zachary Ty Bryan was like in one episode, they were like, and Zachary Ty Bryan goes to this church. Do the rest of the tailors? No, because we can't afford them. But this one kid does. I'm we, well we, like, Dan Aykroyd also was like notoriously difficult, right? Like this is okay. So, yes. yeah. I, I th- yep. interesting. I would have loved to have been on set of this of sneakers where Redford and Poitier were like, "No, sir, we do not. We do not behave like we that. do not have anything." <laughs> no, sir. Uh, like, but, could you but... imagine? Poitier being pissed off at you. It's like the scariest thing I could ever think about of just like intensity is incredible. Just disappointment. Like, it's like when your parents would say like, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. I just feel like would really hurt me. And I, and like, I would never recover. So I I, I I just want to have a conversation with, with Dan Aykroyd, where we discuss our very different interpretations of the phrase ghost protocol. Like I just want (laughs) to, I just think that'd be fun. 
Um, I, I want to talk for just a quick second uh, about how horny this movie is in mm-hmm. odd ways. Um, I feel like we've been talking about that the whole time, Phil. Yeah, but, I'm but, but yeah, I think that's more about like how we feel about the movie. But I think in sure. terms of inside the film itself, we do have this whole like Gunter's having an affair with this lady, um, and they're surveilling like they're they're watching this through the whatever another like, thing that feels like teenage boys yes it's just like oh, well the, all of the shit that they say this is what that, i'm saying it's uh, so but teenage. This is, but also the redford almost saying what david Theron tells it's david Theron who tells him to say it right it is david Theron yeah. who who over so but like Pilate yeah. is standing right next to him and they're yes. like joking they're like, about it they're like tee yeah like little kids on the other side i mean there's also just the playboy the braille playboy mm-hmm. is how we are introduced <laughs> to uh to whistler in his little uh, soundproof section of the van <laughs> in his little soundproof portion of the van uh th- this joke that 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 liz is referring to is basically there's this moment when redford is is uh, caught by the mistress. I don't even think it's a mistress. I just think it's a woman he's having sex with. It doesn't matter. Um, in Janik's office. And they're in his ear feeding him stuff to say to her. <laughs> because apparently Redford is so stupid, he can't like just do this on the fly. He yeah. needs two idiots in a van to tell him what to say. And basically, at the end of it, they tell him to tell her to give him head every time he wants it. And you're just like, first of all, this joke is gross and lame and shouldn't exist in at any point but he almost says but it he almost <laughs> says it it's like do you have a brain good sir what are you doing it's, it's so funny though like just <laughs> i don't know there, this is also Sidney Poitier's second to last movie his next movie that he retires on is the jackal um it's a choice but so that well <laughs> you know so i think let's talk about this one which yep. is this I kind of get it. Like I kind of get that he's like, I want to go out and have fun. Like yeah. I want to have fun on a movie. Like I'm Sidney Poitier. I want to like hang out with my bros and do this. Yeah. And like no one ever let me tell blowjob jokes for the last fifty years. Like that just feels great. I love it for him. I'm for, I do and too. I'm thrilled for us. I'm thrilled. I agree. I th- I, agree. I do wonder if there is a thing where for so long Sidney Poitier was the serious black actor and like yeah. the one with gravitas and then denzel comes along and now he's like okay i can tell blowjob jokes <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i do think i mean this was kind of like the fences thing for me is like when you're talking about not that i definitely am a should be the 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 person to be diagnosing this conversation sure. Sure. as uh an extreme extremely white woman yes to be clear we're all very white we're all very very white so but i think we are we also have to bring up the fact that city poitier until denzel shows up is the most important most prolific black actor in hollywood and in the world and even still in the beginning of denzel's run is until like they kind of do a handoff and then now denzel is kind of in his older city poitier age I think the thing that sort of just like as we've been talking about, I've been thinking about like hanky panky versus fences. Sure. I think it's kind of interesting and problematic potentially that it's like if you're Denzel, do you only get to do fences? Do you only are you only allowed as a filmmaker? I don't know that that's true, but we what I do know is true that is that obviously there have been much stricter and much more. Um, harmful restrictions put on black actors in what they've been 
frankly, quote unquote, allowed to do in their careers. So I, I, sure. I think it that that's just a conversation that I think is is worth having, particularly when you look at Sidney Poitier's directing career, where he was like, "Fuck it, I'm going to go have fun," and like, I don't care if it makes you think I'm not a serious filmmaker. I do think well, I, like yes, I do think sure. one thing like so Sidney Poitier. Uh, the thing is, like the other other black actors who become at that level of fame are comedy stars. And yeah. So like he kind of gets, you know, with Denzel at least, he found the action lane, so he can sort of go he between. Did. I'm going to do an action movie and I'm going to do a big serious movie. And also, like as he's like sort of transitioning to elder statesman, you've got Daniel Kaluuya and Michael B. Jordan, and like there's a like a host of guys right. coming mm-hmm. up behind him in a way that Poitier didn't have because of the yeah. structural racism of Hollywood. So like, sure. it, it, which still exists to be clear, but was like in a, a different mutated form in the, the 70s and 80s. So like, I think it is, I'm so glad he got to play a horny old man. Me like, too. I, you know, I think, I think he should have gotten more chances. That's what I'm saying. I like, could you imagine seeing him in something? Because it feels like this is kind of what he wanted to do. It was like, did you see the movies I directed? Like, I want to talk about blowjobs. Do you think that Denzel will have his moment when he's... Because, like, I'm looking at Denzel's filmography here, and, I mean, I got to be honest, The Preacher's Wife is the closest thing to, like, a lighthearted rom-com-y kind of thing. I and, wonder and, if the reception to that scared him off, because people which, didn't really it might like that have. movie. Yeah. People did not like that movie. But I also feel like Denzel has been funny in many movies right like the guy clearly knows how to deliver a joke so like i do hope that maybe at some point he gets to flex that muscle a little bit maybe he doesn't want to i mean i think he's funny in every movie like i think he has the thing like i think it's similar to city poitier where city poitier can be in the most dramatic film of all time and sort of like give a look and like he you know all great actors that are dramatic are funny like, I just think it is, like, that's part of it. You understand timing. You understand comedy. Sure. But I, so I think it's interesting that he, that Denzel has sort of not gone into that fully lane. Like, sure. he's, I just listened to the Ringer Denzel draft, and, which is how the draft of, of another actor came up. So I was like, well, we can't tell Denzel. We just talked about him. Um, but I, th- but listening to his career and, and, and sort of looking at his oeuvre, a lot of the action movies are like almost action comedies. Like a, his right. role in a lot of them is sort of the comedic role. You know, yeah. like it's kind of interesting that that's how he flexed his muscle was like, yeah. all right, I'm going to do this. And mostly with Tony Scott, like I'll do this, but I'm going to be funny in it. So I yeah. think it's sort of interesting to see generationally how this Totally. Hopefully, it continues to he's, change. Uh, he's uh, he's weirdly like, and this is not weird because Macbeth's a darkly funny play, but he's very funny in Macbeth. Like, he's a mm. very funny sure. Macbeth. He is. Um, yeah. Yeah. his Coen Brothers too, which I think is yeah. interesting. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Also, by I, the way, yeah. if we cast this movie now, Denzel is a hundred percent playing that role, and he's yeah. still like hot gramps. I'm yeah. in. Like, who I'm is Redford always hot today? Who's, who's uh, the I think it's Kate Blanchett. Yeah. <laughs> would watch the yeah. fuck out of that yeah I, no. I think we get Kate Blanchett in that role now. oh my god um so I want to talk about Pitt. what I would honestly now, like do you go Brad Pitt yeah I mean there is Kate there. Blanchett is a PH freak let's just she say. definitely is PH freak I want to talk about what also, I would she I, and Creasy fuck in this movie with a PH great great 
Uh, I uh, think the most iconic scene in this movie is the Scrabble scene. Um, I think it's, it's so you know they're they're at a party. Uh, Whistler's kind of fucking around with the black box that they've got. And they're trying to figure out what SeaTech uh, astronomy really means. So they're kind of rearranging the letters to figure out what it means. It ultimately means too many secrets, sure, um, which is whatever. But like, no notes. Th- no notes. The the way it's shot, I love under the glass table with the various Scrabble tiles. I, I think that it's got this great kind of that to me is sort of the movie in one scene, which is this sort of ominous. What is the box? What can it do? the playfulness of what they're trying to do with the Scrabble letters. I think all that stuff just works incredibly well. Um, I thought it was so much deeper into the movie though. I did. I couldn't believe that it was like yeah. a half hour into the movie. Yeah. It's <laughs> such it's a crazy. weird, it's so, like the, the stuff where uh, she dates Tobolowski feels like it should come in the first half. And it's like, totally yeah. like in the third act. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Um, I also think Liz, that you will have thoughts on this as will you, Emily, but there was stuff like all of the kind of, um the i don't know the conspiratorial elements uh the the moment that made me think this the most was when uh uh redford's handing off the box and you've got poitier at the car and on a on a newspaper article he sees that yannick has been killed it felt so grisham movie to me like it felt so like when some when someone could be found out with this tension of a newspaper article uh so all that kind of stuff, like even the scene when like uh, the, the diplomat is shot, like all that yeah. stuff felt kind of 90s Grisham kind of. I mean, Poitier and Redford not being in a Grisham movie just feels weird. Like it's I sort agree. of like, like that just feels like a weird thing that didn't happen. So this is kind of their like goofy version of that. <laughs> yes. um, I just like personally, I hate watch watch i'm gonna say this and then like my next movie has to have it because i'm not smart enough to make it more creative but like i kind of hate when you just like see something in an article like serendipitously right also when it's like i don't know i just think like what oh my god they're about to meet he just so happens to read in the newspaper that moment that this is about to happen so if i'm gonna give a note that's the note i'm gonna give which is like there's a little too much serendipitousness Mm -hmm. in this but having said that like for a movie that doesn't have any set pieces except, as we mentioned, Whistler driving blind, <laughs> the blind van, blind, blind van driver, yeah. like the way that they create tension in this movie is pretty impressive. I like agree. there's not. And, and by the way, I think James Horner's score is doing heavy work on that. Like his score, it's a, it's a weird ass score from him. I think like it's. Yeah. I think it's closest to Pelican Brief, which is why it's helpful in the thriller conversation. Um, but like it the opening with like the jazz song is just weird. You're just like, I don't know what movie I'm in. And the way that it's utilized is big and mm-hmm. all over the place. Like there is score all over this movie. It is not a quiet film. So yeah. I think it's like they knew that it was not a thriller and they were trying sure. to sell it as a thriller. And so they were. It feels like they coded the movie in score to help them. They're goosing it a lot with the score, for sure. But to your point about... Um, like a cocktail very, party. The cocktail, sure. The, the way that they find tension, one of my favorite scenes is the the trace phone call scene, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, you've got them tracing it and the government's trying to figure out where they are and Whistler has, like, nine different countries that it needs to be traced through. And it's just like, do you want our protection? And, like, all that kind of stuff is, you know, it's the juice of the movie. And they can lie detect over the phone because that was a thing hackers could do before they yeah. got lazy. Freaks. 
freaks if you freaks. will freaks. Yeah. Freaks. <laughs> freaks. <laughs> yeah i i think it it's interesting sort of like putting it on in the same conversation as oceans or the first mission impossible movie yes. where that because the first mission impossible movie is what 94 95 96, like it's not 96, 96 oh really okay but, but still 96 so yes. four years later obviously not a comedy no. um but has a lot of shared elements of this. Like the, I just rewatched it. It's like way more of a thriller and a heist movie than it is a spy action movie that the franchise has become. There's again, there's very few set pieces except for the train and, and the, the fall and and, the and yeah. which the is still thing. just him really um, doing that. Silent as well, like just completely it, silent. It's the best. Absolute silence, sir. Absolute silence. <laughs> um, but I think. It's interesting putting them sort of as a piece because they're all doing the same thing to, in my opinion, great success in very different ways. Where like Oceans is big set pieces. Like there's set pieces all over that movie. Plus it's like just we're swinging for comedy and we're swinging for like we know that three out of six of these men are sexiest men of the year. Like they're all on the cover of People magazine. (laughs) There's like we have a lot of movie stars. Excuse me, four. How dare I? Excuse me for talk to me about Garcia one day. Just <laughs> peak hotness in that movie. Peak. Sure. I think like talking about this, like we know we have two real movie stars. Like we have the two guys who are holding this up. Sure. It's not really a comedy. It's yep. not really a drama. It's sort of a thriller. So it's like kind of a mashup of both. I don't know. It's sort of like again. I don't know why this movie works. It's well, and, the and more you talk point, about it, the more you're like, this shouldn't work at all. The, well, and also the more you talk about it, it makes me feel feel like what Emily was saying, which is like, how do you market this movie? Like, well, I, yes. I don't know what the trailer was, and I'm kind of curious now to go on YouTube and see if it's up there because there's a part of me that's like, it is a comedy, it is a thriller, it does have sort of kind of some actiony kind of set pieces. Like when you're talking about Mission Impossible, I was, you know, when he's walking slowly and they're turning the temperature up, like that made me think so much of the, you know, yeah. the, the vault scene in, in Mission Impossible. Um, so yeah, it is kind of this too, weird match. Too less things. success, I would say. <laughs> much, much less success, yes. I, I also think like there's, this is also the beginning, I don't know when it actually started, but like computer dating. Mm-hmm. and like that whole thing the the fact that martin at once says, says he's a computer dater which is like that's not, yeah. i don't think anyone was ever actually called that um but like there is just sort of this it's so early in the technology of so much of this which is kind of what you sense too there's this low fineness to it yeah. that i think is also kind of fascinating but yeah um yes yeah, 93 is the year the internet really breaks through in the public right, consciousness right, right. it's so fucking weird how this movie <laughs> this movie's like six months before the internet yeah. becomes a thing everybody like oh the thing everybody right. knows right. either they have it in their homes or it's coming and uh yeah I don't know. but it's what's I, funny about that is like you read it in ebert's review like that review right. is so perfect in the sense he's just like what this fucking technology blow, <laughs> like, you're it's like he's just if only so, he like, knew if only he it, knew it's just kind of amazing yeah. that we're in that position but so I just rewatched yes. In the Line of Fire and Good movie. Uh, excellent film. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and then I'm in the middle of a clear and present danger rewatch. Both very fascinating movies to talk sure. about this. Sure. Like to talk about technology and like the place that it has, mm-hmm. I think in sort of this this era of nineties classic films, sure. of like classic blockbuster films, mm-hmm. um, where <laughs> like 
<laughs> in Claire in Present Danger, there's a moment where they have to connect a conversation over the over their uh-huh. computers, but they can't uh-huh. do it because there's no internet. So it's just like local internet. So, but like somebody can see if you've signed on. So he's like uh-huh. rushing to print something so that Ritter doesn't see that he signed on. And you're like, man, this was edge of your seat thriller in like 1997. Like sure. I like when this was on television all the time, I was like, woo. Still, well, like, when you watch it, you're well, like, this is when great. We, when we did our Patriot Games episode, Emily, you might remember uh, the break into the phone call conversation that we had where like you could like break into a phone call. Was that? Uh, oh, right, know. right, right. When he's yeah. calling on the car and he's like, it's an emergency. He's like, yeah. it's like, call. You need to break it. It's like break into a phone. It's like, but yeah, it's crazy. That's, uh, I, I think to me, the turning point is Independence Day. Because mm. Independence Day, they do in the a thing, positive or negative way, <laughs> in, in a, in just in a way of like people thinking Technology, about movies right. in terms of tech, because they yeah. log into the alien computer and infect mm-hmm. it with a virus. And people love that movie. I love that movie. I think it's very fun. But that makes no fucking sense. And everyone called it out at the time. And it was like, yeah, yeah you know, like that. That was when yep. you suddenly realized that tech had infiltrated American society enough that you couldn't get away with like, like totally. fudging the details. Well, yeah. I think what's in- I, I agree. And to further that, like, what's interesting is that the majority of that movie is Jeff Goldblum being like a super hacker scientist <laughs> where we don't understand what he's doing the entire time. Like he's just found a countdown and he doesn't know what that means. And and then he gets drunk and gives the thing a virus. But like, that's really interesting that they knew enough that they were like, technology has to be present in this movie and like modern technology. And we have to be aware of that obviously aliens are smarter than us so we have to deal with the fact that they're smarter than us but they didn't know enough of how to break that into story and like to make it also mary mcdonald it's our i mean i I, I want to just phenomenal in that movie by the way i just remember i was at some sort of camp and we went and saw that movie and some fucking smart little piece of shit kid was like, boy, good thing the aliens don't use MS-DOS. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I fucking hate that kid. And I just got my Dill. revenge on him. I got yeah, my revenge. Yeah. Congrats. I just, I remember just weeping when Mary McDonald dies. It was a tough one. That was a tough one. That's a hard one. I mean, she's, she's really good. I, I want to just, have you, I, I have a very brief in the line of fire story to tell because you just watched it. <sighs> Yeah. Um, so there's, so they're shooting a scene. Wolfgang Peterson's directing the film, and it's Rene Russo and Clint Eastwood. I think they're walking around the Washington Monument, or they're walking around Washington somewhere. And it's like a wide shot, and they like walk into a close or whatever. And so they shoot the they shoot the scene. They do a take, uh, and Wolfgang calls cut, and he goes up to to Clint and he gives him some notes. He's like, "So we're going to do it again. I'd like you to do this, whatever." And Clint turns to him and says, "Could you hear me?" He's like, "Yes." Was I in focus? Yes, we're moving on. <laughs> okay, so to add to that, um, I have subtitles on my uh, at all times because I'm old and I can't hear anything. And sure. so there's just always on. I challenge everyone to put on the Netflix uh, version of In the Line of Fire. I haven't. Che- I realized we owned it, so I haven't checked the one we own, mm. but put that on and have the sound on as well. Flint says absolutely nothing as it is subtitled, which tells me that the person just put the script in yep. and he did, said did whatever he wanted. There is a, a slight misting of accuracy in terms of like, sometimes you have to use the word the, 
and like we're all uh. getting to the same point but he like what was amazing uh. is there's one of the scenes between him and malkovich is like they're doing one of the phone calls malkovich says every single thing as it is <laughs> noted in the <laughs> captions and you go to clint and he's just having a parade over there he's like i'm gonna go over here i'm gonna go over here i'm not gonna say that i'm right. not gonna say it's it true. is wild so bless you clint like love, love you love yeah you. I, there's also a moment i went to see i think i was one of the few people that saw jersey boys uh the movie that he directed uh in theaters um and there's a moment where <laughs> Emily I, just, like, did you just tip your hat <laughs> Emily just what, a little, yeah. little hat tip um there's a moment where there's a family scene or whatever and there's a, a a teenage girl looking straight down the barrel of the camera for the entire scene and you're just like get another take <laughs> like, come on man well but i famous... love this in comparison to like fincher who fincher's like yeah, that sure. person isn't walking like a human so we have to do 27 more takes sorry Emily. Well, like like uh, one of the great things about clint is he you know makes so many movies he'll sometimes have double features and that was the year he really i believe he released jersey boys and american sniper in the same year and american sniper of course has the famous we couldn't get the baby we wanted so we're just using this 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 sack of cloth we found we're gonna pretend <laughs> it's a, sack a baby of potatoes some rice that's a baby that's fine it's one of the most shocking things I've seen in a long time. It's the it's magic incredible. of the movies, honestly. It is. It's the magic. Uh, as what, is... By the way, what yeah. a double feature. Let's just talk <laughs> about that for a second. <laughs> I, I mean, I do think that this movie, um, in terms of like how it ends. Jersey the, the Boys? Cli- yeah, yes, obviously. obviously. This movie, I mean, it, it needs to be said that, Liz, you're absolutely right that like Whistler driving blind is really the climax of this movie um because then you've got like a bunch of talking you have like the the swap of the black box and he you know martin gets away with it whatever uh and you have sort of this you know detente between him and and cosmo but like they just kind of get away with it and then they just kind of run off i i even think the james earl jones scene which we referred to earlier he's an nsa agent who basically is like you know what do you guys want is is it's fun and it's cute but it's also just like it's very neat this movie ends with like the bow of bows this is also like the thing about this movie is that it is one of the other interesting political things about it is it's in this period of time when like the american security state is kind of like fun and cuddly in movies yeah yes like the nsa in this movie is like everyone's like well what does the nsa do and they're like well we certainly don't spy on your phone calls and i'm like hey (laughs) fuck you (laughs) i know i love it when he's like we make sure that the government's technology is secure, phone calls are secure right, or whatever. Right. I was like, what? No, I don't know. Um, also, I, yes. Go okay, ahead. go ahead. No, I was just going to talk about James Earl Jones because I feel uh, like I, we haven't spent enough time discussing his appearance in this film. Let's talk about him. I mean, he's great in Field of Dreams as well. I mean, he's, well, he's, he's for me is sort of the most surprising person in this movie. Like mm. he comes in for one scene, which we, yeah. I, which is totally because of Phil Alden Robinson. So I get it. Um, he is playing the complete opposite outside of field of field of dreams, where he's the lead comedic actor of the film. Like, James Earl Jones for the majority of his career outside of what we is is a stage actor. He's like one of the most important stage actors of all time. I mentioned Fences before, like his performance in Fences is is iconic, iconic and, and world renowned. Um 
he is like a very serious stage actor who then comes and plays Darth Vader and sort of like his whole world changes. Sure. And then he kind of plays like, by the way, this role a lot. Like he's in all of the Jack Ryan movies. Yes. He's, you know, he always kind of plays like kind of the older statesman. Yeah. yeah. Like the father figure, grandfather figure type of guy. He comes into this movie and he's like, mostly just fuck you like he just is basically in this movie like fuck you bunch of kids you totally ruined this for me and i i don't like it and it just it's like mean dad showed up instead of nice dad and it's so much fun to watch cranky mad james Earl jones have to talk about getting a winnebago and then like What's he, what, River Phoenix is like, I don't want anything. I just want her number. Yeah. And he's like, this. what is it like? This isn't a dating service. Yeah. <laughs> this is the United States government. <laughs> and then the River's like, just take, just, just, you can chaperone them going to I drinks. Do, <laughs> I do think I love that scene because it does add that establishment pole that I think the yeah. movie's kind of missing. And like, I think Poitier, because he's ex-CIA, is supposed to represent that, but he's also just like a, one of the boys in a fun yeah. way. So like, yeah. I do think James Earl Jones, like if he was in, two more scenes as this cranky guy mm -hmm. that redford has to work i think that i think that sort of makes the political balance feel a little bit more meaningful i agree in a weird way mary I, mcdonald I, i'm fine <laughs> i'm fine <laughs> she's wonderful i mean i i also i wanted to talk about the the um the river phoenix component of this scene right which in in lesser hands would be just downright creepy and terrible and it definitely you know hedges that a little bit but there is something very cute about her being like, you can have anything in the world and yeah. you just want my number. It's, it's really, cute. and they do have like, they're just both really cute. Like it just, it yeah. works just based on like the casting or whatever, like on the well, page. And I, it's, it's also that he said it, he's like talked about it throughout the movie that Correct. he like wants to find somebody like Liz, which is really, yeah. and Redford's <laughs> like, no, no. <laughs> like, but there's but, multiple yeah. times. It's, I think it would be creepy if we, if it happened at the beginning of the movie rather than the end, we're like, now sure. we've spent two hours sure. with him. And so we get I, it. He also yeah. is River Phoenix. So we're okay with and it. And he also says, the lady with the Uzi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah, hot. it's hot. It's hot. It's hot. Yeah. It, 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 that scene ultimately shouldn't work as yes. most of this movie shouldn't work. And yes. it is this, this kind of deft touch that this movie is, is playing with. Uh, and then, you know, as, as we mentioned, like it, it, it's, they should all be dead. The sequel of this movie would be that they're all hunted for their lives. By the way, this, yeah, the sequel for this movie is they're on the run because they've now disrupted the entire geopolitical tech, like communications. Oh, the sequel for this movie is they're all dead and God hires them to break into hell. <laughs> to break into hell's computer system sure, sure and sure. then be like I'll, I'll have you yeah. be back alive so then mm -hmm. film three is the government's like right. why are these guys back this is great <laughs> right i thought we killed we them thought we killed them yeah um, i i yes go ahead sorry. i was gonna say i love also how fast this scene is yes. like the dialogue in this movie is really great i think this i think the screenplay is really good outside of like a couple dated things and i, I, I mean just structurally and then some rough uh, there's some rough jokes. Uh, what was the, the joke movie. that you referred to earlier? Okay, so I really don't understand this. It's when okay. Redford goes at. So I fully apologize that this is an offensive joke because I just didn't understand. I don't understand it. Now I'm excited. Is, is it's the scene when Redford goes in. Emily's already making me yeah, really Emily's like telling the story. The I know. I'm seeing how my hat looks when I get up. <laughs> it's when Redford goes in with yes. uh, West Wing and Papa Kent. And yeah. he's like, I could have joined the NSA, but they found out my parents were married. 
I and think then Papa Kent gets really mad at him and tries to go after him. And then I they think keep he's going. making a joke about them. He's saying they wanted me, but they found out my parents weren't married, I think is the joke. I think he's saying like they're inbred. Is the that's the impression uh, that I got. Oh, is that okay? It's it's a I agree with you. It's okay. Emily, do you have any I thoughts? have no I just have decided it's queer phobic. I, I don't know. I, I, I okay. honestly that that's Fair? I that's Fair? what I thought. There was a part of me there was a part of me that thought he was making a joke about those two guys being a couple. I like I couldn't quite parse okay. it. Yeah. I was I it it frankly had like queer phobic vibes to it, mm-hmm. which is it just like I don't know, it just like felt like very bro of how angry the guy gets and like very that's macho-y yes. of like that feels like that vibe mm-hmm. but it was such a weird joke and i have watched this movie so many times and i'm like i have had to think about like this one is just like not one off the top of your head that you get um uh, the inbred yeah. thing actually makes more sense to me it totally that, that was my take the inbred but... thing totally makes sense to me now that you say it that that that's my that that's was what my... makes sense yeah okay. I, um, I get that i'm gonna, I, wonder... I'm, I, found, I pulled up yeah. the script i'm gonna figure this out please continue okay. talking um let's rate this movie because i would love to hear liz's thoughts on the film that we're covering next week as well um a movie that i imagine she quite likes but who knows um in 92 i loved this movie i probably would have given this film like a 93 as a 12 year old mm-hmm. through my teens i watched this a ton it's gone down a little bit. Um, just being a little bit more critical of it. I'm at like at 86 now. Like I still really love this movie. Um, I, I think that most of my notes ultimately were just sort of like the pacing's a little bit wonkier than I remembered it yeah. being. Um, but I also kind of weirdly respect it, if that makes any sense. Like I, I respect the fact that you couldn't write a script like this today, structurally speaking. Like I think you'd, it just would have to be a lot more set piecing or whatever. So that's where I'm at. W- what about you, Emily? Where are you? 80 <laughs> uh, all right i'm giving it That's, a three i'm, I'm giving it a three on the queer phobia scale like three is oh. kind of my baseline because okay. i'm like i just assume unless the movie does something to prove me wrong i just assume everybody in it is queer phobic for any movie <laughs> From 1992. That's in 1992, I think that's yeah. yeah that's and like there, there's like that. There were a couple jokes that had again this vibe of like, are you making right. fun of these guys for being gay? It's just like the, right. script, and the script is like more clever, too clever by half, and that's what saves it from you know. There's also some better. extreme stark racism in the end of the movie, yep. which we did not yes. discuss. But mm-hmm. and I, I, it's not helped it comes by out the of fact nowhere a little it bit comes too, right? completely out of nowhere and i think the only reason it's not like a huge red flag is Cindy poitier that beats the shit out of them which is great <laughs> uh which you gotta love you gotta love yes. watching Cindy poitier beat the shit out of racist Absolutely. but like the racism just totally comes out of nowhere, out of nowhere. so uh yes okay sorry Very i think that, but there's some like there's some wonky stuff in this movie that you're it's 1992 and there's all, it's all white guys except for it's also so you're sort of like questioning. no totally and emily to, to sort of highlight what you were saying because they feel so childish because they all feel kind of like kids there is a little bit of that energy of like you know ladies and boobs and like blowjobs and like it all feels kind of very kind of infantile in that way like it feels like we're five seconds away from redford saying you're gay and poitier saying your mom's gay (laughs) yes i agree (laughs) i can't dispute that yeah uh liz what what were you and where were you i mean yeah i was probably pretty high i was probably in the like early 90s of of that i think i'm gonna go probably like 87 
86, 87, probably right around where you are, Phil. I think, I think it's lost something for me, but everything that it loses, it feels like it gains a little bit. Like, like, it's one of those movies that as you get older, you just unfortunately relate more to the the characters. (laughs) And, uh, I don't know. There's something like really fun about watching grown up Goonies. It's like, that's just really fun. And it's also on my scale, it's a packing movie. It's a classic oh, packing movie, sure, which sure, is sure. very important for me. Like sure. the movies you throw on while you're packing and you can kind of tune out for 20 minutes and come back in. Mm-hmm. You never turn it off because you're like, I got to watch this. And you definitely sit down for a while and stop packing sure. to watch a good scene. Mm-hmm. But hard to find those movies. And this is definitely a packing movie. My packing movie is Midsommar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just realizing like the way, like the comfort movies, like all of mine are horror movies. It's just like... <laughs> I will throw on the thing. I'll throw on the Exorcist. I'll just be like having a ball. That's just incredible. Doing chores. So this is my husband oh, as well. That is Watches incredible. Horror movies just for fun. So next week we have uh, your your better half coming on. Emily. Mine? Oh, no. Okay. Sorry, like, sorry, what? Liz. Emily, <laughs> your better half, Libby, mm-hmm. is coming on to talk mm-hmm. about a League of Their Own with us. Yes. Uh, wow. What are your thoughts on a League of Their Own, Liz? I mean. Extremely high. Um, are you guys going to talk about the show as well? No, I, I no. mean maybe it didn't we'll come watch out in '92. Maybe we'll watch sure, it. But I'm just thinking but... in conversation with sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. I think yeah. I think um, a lot of the problems of of sure. the '92 movie, the show yeah. tried to answer, which is why I bring them up in conversation because I think sure. there's a lot of things that were obviously omitted from the 92 mm. film that you can't ignore at this point. The fact that like there wasn't just a black woman standing in the back throwing like the greatest mm. throw of all time. Sure. Um, so very acknowledging that. Hmm? It's very queer too. Like Yes. Yeah. Uh, extremely queer in a, in, in a way that I think obviously was accurate to this time and this, this story in particular and was ignored in 92. So I think that like is important. Um, having said all that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Like it's a phenomenal for me movie, like changed my, changed my world was imp- very important to me. I also was a softball player growing up. So like very important to me. I was a catcher because of daddy, like hugely, hugely influential film for me. Um, I, like I personally, it's my favorite Hank's performance. I was just gonna say, I think he's too. so good in this movie, and he's so funny. Um, Gina Davis is great. G- the fact that Gina Davis was cast like two days before they started shooting is amazing. Uh, Lori Petty is incredible. I, I mean, Rosie, Madonna. Uh, mm, mm, mm. It's it is. Um, it's one of your those boy movies. David Strathairn. Like, come yeah. on now, let's yeah, you go. Got him back, Emily. Your um, husband's, you know, he's in it. So I, I love it. I'm thrilled to listen to the pod and and hear how you guys feel. But I hope it's positive. I'd I love. Be surprised uh, it's, if it wasn't. It's going to be in my top ten movies. <laughs> yeah. of, it might be of my favorite year. movie of '92. Still, if I'm being completely honest, I mean, just pure like, yeah, the rewatchability of it for me. I, I've seen it innumerable movie. times. Classic packing, packing movie. movie. It, it's it's just a really lovely movie too. Like it, it's just, I, I, it's it's funny. I also, you know, you mentioned Hanks, and we'll talk about this on the on the episode, Emily. But like, it does feel like it's a fulcrum point for him like it's definitely a turning point in his career because everything that sort of you know philadelphia is right after it it does and uh so sleeps in seattle like it does feel like he kind of 
figures out the other gear that he wasn't figuring he out. Also, well, his career also his had been, back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what I was going to say is his career was also kind of tanked. And then he did this and sort of rediscovered again, like who he was. And, and I think Penny Marshall, by the way, goes a long way into doing that. Cause you look at big and then you look at this yeah. and sort of yeah. where he goes in his career. He was trying. Yeah, he was trying to go in a darker space and couldn't pull it off. And League of Their Own proves like he can. He can do yeah. it. He just has to be like five percent more Tom Hanks. And you're like, oh, yeah. there's the drunk I love. <laughs> well, I, and I think there is a lot to say that what, about what you just said, Emily, which is like, and I think I'm going to loop back around to the sneakers conversation because yeah. that is actually interesting. Is that there is a serious portion of the reason that people love Hanks is watching the Hanksiness in a movie. Like there is like when you watch him go fully into a character and fully out, out of it, it's not saying it's rejected, but it's saying like, we want Hanks. Like we love Hanks. That's what we want to watch. And there's something about the movie. That's like a very unique quality of a movie star is like, usually you want them to be whatever. And like with him in particular, we're like, no, 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 we don't love your characters. We love you. We love you and everything that you are and want to watch you do interviews and shit like that. The actors in this movie, like maybe Poitier, maybe Redford, River Phoenix, I don't know, because obviously died too young. Um, But like, it's an interesting conversation sort of of like the, I guess it's, it's a character actor versus movie star conversation, but like really of how to define a movie star is like, do we want to see more of like kind of your personality in there? Or do we want to see you just immerse yourself in a character? Did I and just I define that, movie star and character actor for myself? Sure. Okay, cool. Great. A little Love bit. That. But I also think there are some movie stars that quite frankly are transformative, right? That, yeah. that like actually do be Daniel Day Lewis. Like I think there's a ton that sure. yeah. Yeah. Um, but to your point, like there are some movie stars that just need to stay in a comfort zone and when they stray, which Hanks does all the time, by the way, and mm-hmm. people are just like, I don't know what to make of Cloud Atlas. Like there are just people that are just like, I don't know what to do with this stuff. I know Cloud Atlas is a is a no no. I just was favorite, say, I would yeah. argue that that both Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, for which he both wins Oscars, are him doing that, but staying sure. just enough. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. interesting. No, totally. Uh, I do. I'm curious. Have you guys seen the deleted, the infamous deleted scene from A League of Their Own? Do you know Wait, what I'm even speaking no. of? Are you talking about the kiss? Yes. I have not seen it, but I've heard. I've heard, heard about it. Heard it's tell. on YouTube. I have watched it. It scarred me. And I'm, I'm, I mean, truly a movie. I love a league of their own so much that to see these two kiss, I was just like how close they came to fucking ruining one of the things that makes the movie so special is just honestly makes me like kind of, that is, just to think I, about. I don't ever want to see it. Cause sure. I do think it'll almost ruin it for me. I do think it's interesting that he thought he had a shot with her because he's like a literal drunk who just got sober like three weeks ago um and she's uh, she forced greatest, on him yeah <laughs> she's the greatest baseball player uh since mickey Mantle. so it's an interesting interesting thing yes. um i don't know i'm thrilled for you guys i love this movie plus so bill much. pullman I, come on pullman's bill pullman. i mean but you're like, not gonna i mean come on uh, uh, listen listen tom hanks and league of their own could throw me a curveball i'd do that <laughs> I just I, look, like him revealing that I have like a bunch of repressed heterosexuality. That's what this <laughs> podcast is. I mean, I, yeah. I look. <laughs> P- 
Peacockness? For Hanks? Yeah, I think so. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I think so. He is, I mean, he's just so fucking funny in this movie. He's so and, funny. But he's also like so heartfelt. I think of it, that, you know, there's so many scenes of him being fatherly to these women in a way that's just like, it's all just, it's, it's a real, like Penny Marshall's career is fascinating to me because like she's got a bunch of just obvious bangers but then she's got yeah. a bunch of things where you're like what were we doing here penny yeah. like why did we do this movie the fact that she turned down forrest gump which i imagine to this day she's but like i don't know what penny marshall's forrest gump looks like like it right. might have been just an absolute disaster like who knows but it's just it's it is uh, it's really i mean hanks there's two scenes for me that stand out in the movie yeah. i mean there's so many that are good but there's sure. two scenes one when they're all rushing out of confession to to and church god and he knows goes, the game and he goes god there are dozens of people wa- waiting for us to play and i was like it's, like, it's so funny when you realize yeah. what he's saying is great and then the entire i mean i know the throwing the baseball glove at stool angel is like the iconic moment but like the whole scene before that where gina davis shows up and he's like oh you're back and they have the whole like you don't have to play you're gonna play and then he like does the whole we're gonna win thing is just like he peak comedy peak hanks it's really he just is so charming and such a movie star in that in that movie and there's i know that he had like a career sort of bust and so he was so he takes the low but it's i'm hard pressed to be convinced that somebody of his level wouldn't take this supporting actor job like you kind of talk about actors of his generation or actors or not of his generation actors at that age at that level sure. of like there have been movie stars now they're fading they're going after their oscar they haven't won whatever like going for the supporting actor role in something like this is really smart and more actors should do i first of all couldn't agree with you more second of all him not getting an oscar nomination for a league of their own is fucking crazy i mean crazy to think of and speaks to what you said emily of like him being in a bit of this lull and hollywood being like is this guy kind of done i think that he wins five years later sorry one year later he wins the next year no but i mean like if this movie comes out five years later like he wins there's no yeah Yeah. the i think that like um it just was like this movie was not it was a hit, but it wasn't like hugely well reviewed. It just was kind of ignored entirely by award season. That said, I mean, that's it. That's that supporting actor lineup. Who are you going to kick from it? David Paymer and Mr. Saturday Night? That seems yes, like that, yeah. is, that is who I kick out of the category. How dare you? Yeah. How dare you? Sorry. Emily? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it is, I mean, it, it's just one of those, this movie being resoundingly ignored by the academy awards just goes to show how like up their own ass they were for so long that if a movie was, it was a girl movie but that's crazy. the thing it was a girl movie i think that's the when you look at this film in particular like sure. i'm talking about sneakers obviously but when obviously. you t- when i mean honestly also a girl movie <laughs> not gonna lie we've already it's discussed true. the hotness a sure, lot sure but like League of Their Own was never at that time. It wasn't a serious movie. I no. mean, women. I mean, this is kind of similar. I mean, it's not the same, but like women were not allowed to make serious, or they were only recognized when they made serious movies. Right. You know, it's like it took Catherine Bigelow making The Hurt Locker for the Academy to be like, oh, women can do things. And then you know, sure. like going to your shirt, like Greta now has changed it sure. where you can make Barbie, and she's going to get 
a nomination, if not win. So I think like, but the discourse is you have to be serious to be taken seriously. And that, that is a shame for Penny Marshall in particular for the career that she had. Like big is wild. That is a wild wild movie. Like it's kind of, she's kind of the only person I can think of who could do it at that time. Sure. And like, makes tom hanks a movie star and then league of their own is sort of madonna is fantastic in it i mean she breaks i mean the ceilings that are broken by league of their own and again we'll we'll you know unpack all of this emily on the actual episode but i i do think it's worth noting first female director to make a hundred million dollar movie like the movie that will make a hundred million dollars at the box office It, it it was it was groundbreaking and yet still hollywood was like but come on it's, it's no she, Howard's is, end. A, is Awakenings the first movie to be nominated for Best Picture directed by a woman? She was not nominated for director. She but, was not. Was it nominated for Best Picture? Yes. It was. Okay. I think it I was know the that, first I know that, movie uh, directed okay. by a woman. Not, and again, it and is, she went serious. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. picture De Niro in the screenplay. Sorry. Right. And that's that's the year before this? It's in 91, No, that's right? in 1990. Yeah. Oh, 90. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, the other thing, just in terms of success of this movie, is like, I don't know how much you've already looked into this, but you should before you do the pod. Is like the production of this movie and the pre-production of this movie was harrowing. Like this was, they were rewriting the script constantly. Not to say that it doesn't happen, but like it, it was, yeah. there was a little bit of a shit show in the production of this film, and this movie came out of it, which does not always happen. <laughs> I mean, it's it does scream. I mean, it's it's a phenomenal uh, screenplay by uh, uh, Luol Gans and Pablo Mandel, but it does feel punch uppy, right? Like mm-hmm. it's 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 very funny, but mm-hmm. it's you know what I mean. Like there's a lot of like joke jokes in it that mm-hmm. you, I imagine are coming up on the on the day of. But um, all that being said, Liz, thank you for coming on and talking about sneakers with us. I Thanks mean, for having this, me. This I feel like I have achieved like writer Twitter sneakers status in some I way. Totally I feel like we all have. By talking about sneakers, it feels really important. Yeah. This is a good answer for next week. Awakenings was the second. Randa Haynes' direction of Children of a Lesser God. First Best Picture nominee directed uh, by a woman. Uh, but she was, again, not nominated for director. So so the first director You know what's nomination... cool about, about when Best Pictures are nominated, but neither mm. the director or the writer are nominated? Mm. Um, the actors do it all themselves. <laughs> It is cool. They're really, I mean, listen. In, uh, I think in both cases, the the writers who were men were nominated and the directors who were women were oh, overlooked. Sure. So, who is the, I mean, this, forgive me, this is, but who was the first woman nominated for Best Director? Le- Lena Vertmuller for Seven Beauties in 1972, which was not nominated oh. for Best Picture. The first oh. woman nominated for Best Director, who's also nominated for Best Picture, is, I think, Jane Gambian. I don't think oh, Barbara, yeah. I don't yeah, think I Barbara think got nominated. I don't think Barbara got nominated. Barbara did for, not get nominated for, for Prince of Tides. Prince of Tides. Yeah. So, that yeah, was like so a big it's the piano. Yeah, yeah crazy that's crazy um you have also, achieved as, it, i just want to say uh outside of my joke we support sag and we love our actors <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> we, we love them they should get everything that they want so that we can go back to making jokes about who's important on set and we love you dearly we'll go on the strike lines with I you went, next week i went on strike with sag the other day i did some picketing uh they're so I. they're so hot they're they so really are you just it, I, it, it's crazy 
it just makes me feel like I'm like, don't look at me. I'm a monster. <laughs> just let leave me in my office so I can write words for you. Pretty well, people. I have to say, I, well, it was like day 71 when they showed up on on the WJ once they because they were I, they were supporting us. But when they Absolutely. went on strike and yeah. so we joined together, first of all, it was like an influx of just energy because, you know, oh it we was it was we were yeah. flagging retired. It was really hot outside. But just suddenly, everyone got so hot on the strike lines, <laughs> and all of us were just like, "Oh God!" Like I and just like, they feel started even worse. taking like the guy, Some of the guys were like, "It's hot. It's a value. I'm gonna take my shirt off and walk around with a sign." And I was like, "How dare you!" But thank How you, sir. You. Like, just bless your heart. I love yeah. you. Appreciate it. You. Also, it, it it was also one of those things where um, <laughs> I'd be like, "You're not even wearing makeup. You're not yeah, even like. No. You're just you are. It's and you are stunning." I yeah. hate all of you. It's yeah, uh, yeah just amazing. even anyway. actors who you don't think are hot, sure are hot. That's they're true. like like when they're not like when you see a movie, and you're like, oh, that actor's not hot. And then they show up, you're like, they're hot. They're hot. It's, just, they're it's hot. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, God Anyways, bless him. Saw Glenn Powell. In, He's a very attractive LA, man. <laughs> I hope. I hope by the time this drops, the strike is over for SAG. I think, so that I, this I, is... I, I, cautious optimism. Uh, fingers yeah. crossed. But um, thank you for coming on, Liz. I know that you're it's still a little bit under the weather, so we means that much more to us i appreciate it thank you if i made any bad jokes just blame the medication i'm on <laughs> but uh listen you'll be back to talk about something with us at some point I'm sure. well i think we have to I do mean... we're doing some kind oh, yeah. of we're gonna uh, do <laughs> patreon episode so it, but... it's making sense now that you guys were day drinking when we were texting oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> about yeah, what yeah, double yeah. feature you were gonna come back on for yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's gonna be great um, i also we Emily... were sitting across from each other day drinking like on our phones talking to you it was pretty hilarious i I'm honored, truly. Uh, Emily and her hat will be back next week. Um, and uh, <laughs> you have to wear the hat every week now, Emily. That's the problem. Is that like once you once you bring that kind of power well, again, to the podcast, it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a deal point in the NBA. Is the studios right, were right. like Emily needs to wear the hat, but we'll give on all this stuff. And so like sure. I have I don't take this hat off anymore. I shower. I was going to ask. So have you? Did you? Did the writers' room start before the strike? Yeah, one and day. And you were like, you had gone okay, one, one day. day. Yeah, one day. <laughs> one day. I went one day, and I wasn't wearing a hat. And I'm gonna show. That's what up. I was gonna say. I was yeah. like, oh, it'd be it would be amazing if you'd never gone to the room and the room because yeah. now you can just introduce yourself yeah. with the hat. I'm with gonna hat. Sh- I'm gonna show up on Wednesday, and I'm gonna be wearing the hat, and everybody's gonna applaud because they're gonna be like, <laughs> we got this deal because of that hat. Everybody we knows did. it's amazing. We got a deal, guys. All right. Thank you so, so much, Liz. Thank you. Talk to you guys soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 